0: Welcome back to another episode of Sweatin' Bullets, a fantasy football podcast. I am your host, DFB Encounter. You can follow me on Twitter at, D, at DFB Encounter. Uh, with me here today is none other than Jacob Sanderson. You can follow him on Twitter at Jacob Sanderson, which is just so unoriginal. Like, you went from random letters to just completely unoriginality, just literally your name. I can't imagine anything more boring. How are you doing?
1: Uh, I'm disappointed with myself. Um, <laughs> I watched every play of the Colts game last night after I said that I wasn't going to watch it at all.
0: Oh, you uh, know what's funny. I just realized this. Dude, stop. I just realized I'm a Steelers fan and you're a Colts fan.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you're a Steelers fan. That's why you just realized it. Because you're, you're not actually a fan. <laughs> uh, for our audio <laughs> listeners, by the way, that would have had no effect. You would, you were just like, I'm a Steelers fan. And then I was like, you're a Steelers fan. Um, I put air quotes around it when I said it for the audio <laughs> listeners.
0: Uh, yes, of course. I forgot. Yeah, the I, uh, podcast.
1: there was a tweet that was gold from uh, Michelle. I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of your last name. So I'm sorry. Magziuk. Uh, at Ball Blastem. Where she's a Steelers fan. And we've previously had like Steelers Colts charity bets and stuff. And she was just like, I apologize to all of America for having to watch these two teams. If it's any consolation, if you are a Steelers or Colts fan, you've been suffering this entire year and now we're suffering with you. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's that's how I feel. Like, I feel apologetic that the Colts uh, have to get exposed to national television four times this year, two more to come. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if I'm suffering, you also deserve to be suffering um anyhow the Colts suck uh they (laughs) are a vessel for sadness and i'm I'm disappointed that i like actually allowed myself to get emotionally invested in them winning a game that would have been honestly bad for the direction of their franchise to win i don't know why i did that i don't know why i do that why why do i do that why do what is like wrong with humanity where we just become the worst version of Reply Guys on Twitter as soon as you like watch a set of clothing that you root for. It's bad.
0: <laughs> I think I think it's fair to say that the Monday Night Football matchup was not a five star matchup. I do want to quickly just touch on one five star uh, oh, topic, nice. if you if I may. I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, you can actually rate the show on like. I don't know, Apple. Oh, I thought you were
1: going to talk about the five-star recruit George Pickens. like last night. Are, <laughs> we, are we bypassing we'll, that for a week? We'll
0: talk about we'll that, that
1: pause for a week.
0: Okay. I want to quickly talk about this because I just need to throw it in. Hashtag Matt's face. Hashtag Matt, take this. It, this is this is the review that somebody left for us. If you are listening to the show and you like the show, go and leave a review. Make sure you let us know how long you would like the show to be because that's what I would like to touch on right now. This review says. Best Dynasty pod around, which I tend to agree with, and I'm completely unbiased. Five stars. For those watching, I'm holding up all five fingers. And this is what he says. Or she. This could be anyone uh, of any gender. In the space of three episodes as sweat and bullets, I wasn't aware of Bulletproof previously. This pod has jumped straight into my must-listen list every week. I've listened to a lot of FF podcasts over the years, and this is by far my favorite Dynasty one. I don't agree with every take in it. And nor would I hope to, and I certainly don't agree with Jacob most of the time. He probably agrees with me a lot. Uh, but both Jacob and Drew put forward so considered safe, so safe. and sensible arguments. Also, the back and yeah. forth is enjoyable, whether they agree or not, which we try not to.
1: Well, we've been an agreeing hour... more in season. I think we're going to disagree more in the offseason. Oh, why. we're going
0: to disagree constantly offseason. This is the part that's important, though, for Matt. Matt, I hope that you're listening when you're editing. An hour and 45 runtime is an absolute gift. For those who have long commutes too, top notch. Take that, Matt. We are an hour yeah. and 45-minute run time. Let's go. Awesome and to see uh, it. yeah, so basically where I'm going with this is I just wanted to brag a little bit and I'm happy you're all here for it and uh, let Matt know that uh, the podcast length is inconsolably long and uh, it's going to be great. It's gonna Do be you great. have any thoughts?
1: No, I want to dive right into the dive right into the programming. I want Morning. to dive right into the programming. And I want to talk about a first round quarterback who got into game action, relevant game action for I think like the second time in his career in terms of not just doing mop up duty. And looked absolutely phenomenal, led a immediate touchdown drive, led a field goal drive. Threw an interception. That's the Gordie Howe hat trick of football, right there. You get the field goal, you get the touchdown, you get the pick. Uh I have seen some stuff where I thought that everybody was totally out of the Jordan Love business. Like I thought we just yeah. acknowledged that he was gonna be Josh Rosen.
0: What? Time out for a second, because you just threw in Gordie How hot hat trick in a football podcast. Hockey fan or those that are not hockey fans, what a Gordie How hat trick is is when you score a goal, yeah, record an assist, and then also get in a fight. So yeah. that is the Gordie Howe hat trick. For those that are unaware of Jacob's northern uh, sport preferences, now you are caught up. Which are and also your sport preferences. That's true. I played a lot of hockey <laughs> in my day, but yeah. uh, I just know that a lot of listeners are football fans, not necessarily hockey fans. Right. And now they are going to get the reference. It's a wonderful thing. It's a it's a it's Canadian as Canadian gets. I'm glad you. A- I'm glad you
1: killed an, this- a half hour of of our. Programming to explain the Gordyau hat trick instead of just letting the <laughs> reference pass on. Anyway, I wonder about Jordan Love. That's I thought we had, I thought we like had already viewed Jordan Love as a failed state. Like I thought that we had already notified the UN that like this is no longer working as a country. <laughs> we need to like bring in peace officers. We need to intervene. I thought it was kind of over. Like I was in a group chat with a bunch of my buddies who play thumb Dynasty, we're in some leagues together, and. Uh, one of them on multiple occasions was trying to trade Zach Wilson for Jordan love and getting rejected. And like, I thought it was kind of like a funny joke. I was like, Oh, like people are that low on Zach Wilson. They won't even give you Jordan Love. It's like obviously worth nothing. And then I saw another one of my leagues that Matthew Stafford got traded for Jordan love. And my question is like, are people in on Jordan love um, who we kind of jokingly made fun of, I think a week or two ago. And then should they be like, am, am I, am I the villain? (laughs)
0: are you the bad you don't
1: you know i bet you don't get that reference because you you're like the straightest hockey bro so you've definitely never seen rupaul's drag race but shout out shout out to uh shout out to drag race twitter yeah jordan love a thing um actual thing
0: no well i mean like he's probably gonna start some football games he's a first round pick for goodness sakes but i uh In in one of my, I I do weekly threads in the Patreon. If if you've never been on the Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash bulletproofff. I do weekly threads, buy sell threads. About four weeks ago, maybe I done a thread saying, hey, now's the time to go and buy all these like kind of significant backup quarterbacks because nobody cares about them today. As soon as they're starting, somebody's going to care about them. And they may even do something cool like win a game or make a miraculous throw. And then you get a nice value bump and you can cash out. That is what happened with Jordan Love. Jordan Love is not a likely long-term starting quarterback in the NFL, I would say. He wasn't a very good prospect. He sat on the bench for two years. Every time we've seen him play football, he hasn't been any good until like the three drives he had this week where he was actually kind of decent. So I'm just going to go ahead and presume that the larger sample is the correct sample and just unload him if possible. Uh, I can't imagine he's actually good at football. And yeah, like, I don't know. There was just no real reason to believe that he was good at football when he was a prospect. And I just don't think that three drives changes that, especially when we've seen him play before in the NFL. Like we've seen him in the preseason. He hasn't been that good. We've seen him in the... uh, He was the
1: worst quarterback on earth, the one game he played against the Chiefs.
0: Yeah, yeah. Him and Malik
1: Willis both shared that, just looking objectively awful at Arrowhead. (laughs) <laughs> tough place to play
0: tough place to play so anyway yeah like i'm just not all that into jordan love if you wanted to trade him yeah today, but what are we
1: selling for like are you are you holding up for a two or would you take like a three because oh no i get a three
0: I would, I would uh i would hold up for a two if we're not there Okay, yet. he's all gonna right. get a chance he's likely going to get a chance to be a day one starter at some point in his life and if he's uh, a day one starter we're gonna get a whole try count. Because then you think that's
1: like, over 50 chance jordan Love's a day one starter 50%?
0: Oh, he's going to get a chance to be a day one starter. I don't know if he's going to be a day one starter. He's gonna <laughs> what be mean the, What's the
1: chance? To, oh, like he's going to be invited to training camp, but like with among other um, yeah. objectionable options?
0: Yes, he's going to be invited to training camp and he's going to have to compete with Marcus Mariota to be a starter. Okay, somewhere. so
1: he's going to get the Matt Flynn.
0: Yeah, exactly. The, okay. The, exact, that is exactly it. He's get, That's what Marcus Mariota got. Marcus Mariota went to... Atlanta, they drafted a third-round quarterback. It happened to be not any good. Matt Flynn went to Seattle. Seattle happened to draft Russell Wilson, who was very good for a long time, and now he's awful, objectively awful. And uh, we just need to hope that wherever Jordan Love lands, doesn't draft Russell Wilson.
1: Okay, I I can see the Matt Flynn scenario. I can see the Matt Flynn scenario for Jordan Love. Uh, All right, I I think – I mean, look, if there's one bright spot, is that he looks serviceable enough in – Minuscule sample that if they do end up shutting down Aaron Rodgers for the season, hopefully that doesn't just mean Aaron Jones and Christian Watson are unusable. Uh, that would be sad. So good, good that he looked like he could actually like move the ball down the field. Um, the New York Jets. We talked about Zach Wilson last episode. I wanted to name the episode uh, "Homie Hopper Dynasty Dropper," but Matt didn't do that. He instead named it uh, "Year Two wide or." Tier two rookie wide receiver check-ins. Um, so Matt. you know, get a little bit more creative on that one, Matt. Um, <laughs> but uh, Mike White uh, absolutely lit up the Bears, who are pretty light upable. But somehow, I don't have confidence Zach Wilson would have done it. Uh, is this is this a further nail than Zach Wilson's coffin? And. Do you think that Mike White's going to be the starter for the rest of the year? Just, does Mike, is Mike White their 2023 day one starter? Like how how into Mike White are we?
0: Well, let's talk about Zach Wilson first, because I think that one of the interesting things about Zach Wilson is that every quarterback who has played quarterback for the New York Jets since Zach Wilson got drafted yeah. has been better than Zach Wilson. And that is right. becoming he's a, a He's major- the
1: CEH of quarterbacks.
0: Yeah, right. It's yeah. Like every yeah. other every
1: other running yeah. back who gets the Chiefs us. is great. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's,
0: it's wild. I, I like Zach Wilson. Uh, yeah, like we talked about
1: Zach Wilson, Ceh
0: of quarterbacks. <laughs> we probably don't need to get into Zach Wilson all that much. I just would like to yeah. acknowledge the fact that he has been the worst quarterback, and 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 it's not that he's just been the worst quarterback among Jets quarterbacks. The Jets quarterbacks aren't good quarterbacks. So like <laughs> like. Like we're talking about Joe Flacco, like end of his career, Twilight Joe Flacco, and someone <laughs> named I don't even I, I don't even forgot his name was it Mike White? Yeah, no, Mike, Mike, White, Smith. Nick, Mike White. Mike, Mike White. Mike White. Yeah, Mike Smith was like, a what?
1: goaltender for the Edmonton Oilers like a couple years ago.
0: Of course, yeah. I'm, I Gordy Hatcher hat got me in the wrong frame of mind. Yeah. Mike so yeah, like, what are we doing with Mike White? Not the quarterback <laughs> or not the goaltender. I mean, he's probably starting the rest. Of the, I think
1: he, I think that I think, he has over 50% to start the rest of the season.
0: I think that as long as he doesn't embarrass the team, he's starting the rest of the season. Yeah, like if because he goes, they're, they're in a playoff
1: spot, right? Like obviously them going to him in the first place suggests that they're open-minded to the idea that Zach Wilson's benching is at least permanent for the rest of this season and that they value trying to make the playoffs. Like, if they didn't value trying to make the playoffs at all, they would have just let the ship go down with Zach Wilson. But they want to make the playoffs this year. They can make the playoffs this year. Uh, And as long as contention for it, I imagine Mike White just keeps starting.
0: Yeah, I think that Zach Wilson kind of, like, shot himself in the foot with his post-game conference where he was like, nah, it wasn't my fault. Uh, I'm letting one down. What are you talking about? Like, that's just really bad for the locker room. (laughs) And I think, like, players were speaking out about it. Like, that... Uh, Garrett Wilson like rant, rant was like not a great look and then Zach Wilson goes out and he's like wasn't my fault what are you talking about? Right. Yeah. ran the offense we got three points what do you want from me? What, what do you think of Elijah Moore offense? though? So we talked about Mike White right?
1: Do we think I mean obviously I don't I don't think that Mike White's a long term answer but I think he could start for the rest of the year and, and they have some weapons so the offense could be kind of fun. Do you think Elijah Moore is back back? Uh, I've seen a lot of excitement about Elijah Moore Where, where's your head out on Elijah last because uh, he still Elijah carries, Ray. like, trade value. I, I saw in a league, there was one of my buddies texted me the other day, and he he was close to closing a deal, and the other guy insisted on adding a swap where my buddy got Calvin Ridley, and his trade partner got Elijah Moore. And I was like, shouldn't that be the other way around? Like, we're insisting on being able to have the privilege to buy Elijah Moore for Calvin Ridley? Like, I, uh, I I'm not I'm not there, but maybe you are, you're more eternally optimistic on bad wide receivers than I am when they fit your priors.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting that you would say that I'm eternally optimistic because that's what I, that's what I hear all the time is how optimistic. Uh, I I, like, so Elijah Moore, I'm just, I just pulled him up on keep trade cut to look at his value, his value adjacent overall players. So regardless of position is Dalton Schultz, which I'd rather have Elijah Moore, Khalil Herbert, (laughs) which I'd probably rather have Khalil Herbert, Keenan Allen, which I'd easily rather have Keenan Allen. Uh, and then we got Cole Komet. I'd probably rather have Elijah Moore than Cole Komet. Cole, I mean, I don't even, Cole Komet like is a
1: CDO, like that can't be a real thing.
0: <laughs> and then we got Antonio Gibson. I'd probably rather have Elijah Moore. Definitely be close have Antonio Gibson. Yeah. I, I think I'd probably coin flip on that one. I, I don't have a strong preference either way. And then we have Wondell Robinson who I'd probably have rather have. Oh, than yeah. Elijah Moore. Yeah. So And looking at that, I feel like I don't really want to buy Elijah Moore. (laughs) We're good. But at the same time, I'm sitting here thinking you go down, like now you look at evaluation value adjacent wide receivers and we add players like Donovan People jones and Josh Palmer and I'd easily rather have Elijah Moore than those guys. So Elijah Moore is kind of like not my favorite buy, but I'm probably just holding at this point and or or like slight buying. Like if I can get him as a throw in. Or like- I mean, I'd
1: probably rather have DPJ for the sole reason that, like, I don't think that he is good enough to stick in the NFL long term, because I think we kind of knew everything that we needed to know about him fundamentally after his first two years. But I think in this current role that he's been in, in this current offense that he's in, he has a legitimate role, and he's going to get to play uh, f- six games here with Deshaun Watson, um, commanding a pretty decent role for the time being. And I think that he could end up being a guy that were he could easily be a guy where this offseason you're making six threads about you need to sell Donovan Peoples Jones because he has this really hot finish with with Deshaun Watson. And especially because he didn't score any touchdowns in the entire first portion of the season until Deshaun Watson starts. What's going to happen is, is that he's going to continue in this fairly valuable role that he's been in this season in like a fairly like. DJ Charkey in fashion where he's not actually very good, but he's on a really weak depth chart and he's like sufficient enough as an NFL player. He's at 18.6% target share, 24% area yard share. So he's fine. He's going to run hot on touchdowns with Deshaun back these last six weeks. He's going to end up averaging like 16 points per game, or something crazy with a touchdown run. And then people are going to post the splits, the, Jacoby split against the Deshaun split, people are going to be like, well, if you only look at the Deshaun numbers, he was the wide receiver 17 in points per game. And then people are going to be setting late first for him. That's what's going to happen.
0: I think that... Uh, sure, that that's Paul. That's- no,
1: it's going to happen. I'm manifesting this right now. If, it, if Vegas was offering a betting line on who will Drew trigger the masses the most about with consistent threads about why this player is actually bad while he's being drafted in like the fifth round of free draft leagues. Right now, I would put minus 200 odds on that being Donovan Peoples-Jones. He's going to be your Gabe Davis, Alan Lazar next year. Sure. I, I, Don't tell me that I, you can't see this reality. I, this reality is... I am is-
0: not going to rule out the masses overreacting to a small sample on a bad player. I'm, I'm absolutely not going to rule that out. Donovan Peoples-Jones probably has a good a chance of being the guy that I just can't wrap my head around uh, so as anyone. What I would actually do in the like honestly, like I'm I'm gonna buy David Bell right now. Like that's what I'm doing right now. Oh,
1: fuck's sakes, really?
0: Absolutely. David Bell. Hey, are you that guy's terrible. He's, He's terrible. Got, he, okay, we have a whole bunch He's of the weeks.
1: reason why Donovan People's Jones is an 18% target share because they have fucking David Bell soaking up 0.78 yards per route run this year.
0: We have David Bell being a third wheel in the offense. The fourth,
1: fourth wheel. wheel. Fifth, sixth wheel, really.
0: Or fourth wheel. It's the fourth. I
1: think Nick Chubb has more targets. I think Kareem Hunt has
0: more targets. For th- eight weeks, we have that. And then in weeks 10, 11, and 12, after the bye, we have David Bell, the rookie, seeing 5.56 five, targets. It's 22% targets. But eternally
1: optimistic.
0: And he's free. He That's, might actually serious. be good. And Donovan People jones is definitely not good. So, if I were going to buy Browns wide receiver right now, it would either, I would be interested in buying Amari because I think he's like fairly priced for the type of production he's giving, and he has a pretty good chance at increasing. But David Bell is like really, really not expensive, and that is pretty appealing to me. I mean, if David Bell were expensive, expensive, I would not be buying. That's true.
1: That's true. He just, is not let expensive. Let
0: David Bell is currently valued at 2155. Keep trade cut points. If you were to look at value adjacent players, we're talking about Cade Auton, Gerald Everett, Mike Jasicki, yeah. Hunter Renfro, and Marcus Mariota.
1: Okay, I understand, understand that, that he old. I understand that David Bell is worth such a small amount of make-believe points. That if you go to a new grocery store and you sign up for their membership card, that within like two weeks or so, he's like the green pepper that you have enough points to redeem, and then you can add him into your bag for free. That's okay. That's fine. I'll,
0: that's your he, take on David he's Bell. He's cheaper, a he's a redeemable green pepper. He's cheaper than Michael Hardman and Darius Slayton right now.
1: I mean, I would definitely rather have Michael Hardman and Darius Slayton.
0: Stop it! Absolutely, De- stop it.
1: I mean, realistically, I just rather have like a fourth round pick, Devin um, Duvenay. <laughs> yeah, I I Devin DuVernay triggers me a little bit. Um, I think Darius Slayton might be good. Have you seen those? Like, I mean, we I brought up the Walder ranks earlier. What are the uh, Walder ranks? The Seth Walder, he's like the he's doing these, um, composite wide receiver talent evaluations based on like open scores, contested catch abilities, and yards after catch abilities, and I mean. It's, it's coming from next-gen stat stuff. I, I mean, I'm, like, inherently skeptical of these kinds of things. But I will say that for the most part, it passes the sniff test uh, in terms of, like, the guys that you would think are the best wide receivers in the NFL are leading the top of the list where it's at least has my attention such that the guys who, like, obviously don't belong where they are are probably also a little bit better than we think they are. That's kind of how I look at it. Darius Slayton is crushing it. And he's also just been crushing it, like, as a player this year. I think that Slayton... Slayton's only ever had real opportunity in his first year, and about half his second year, and then now he's and he's and he's always like earned a fair amount of targets. I'm I'm not like saying I'm not I'm not going to make this like a a, uh, a soliloquy about Darius Slayton, but I think he's an NFL player.
0: Well, yeah, he's an NFL player. He's been in the NFL for four years, of course. No, but I think NFL he's like an player.
1: NFL starter. Like I think he's I, I think that Darius Slayton is is like a legitimate NFL starter. Who the Giants mismanaged.
0: Uh, I think Darius Slayton is Donovan Peoples-Jones, but cheaper. And better. And potentially like definitely
1: better. Def- Definitely better. Donovan Peoples-Jones has a career-high 18.6% target share this year. Darius Slayton, as a rookie, posted a 17% target share on a 14 dot, <laughs> And then he posted a 19% target share year two. And then they didn't let him play football last year. And then here he is this year. He's at sixteen percent target share as a part-time player. So he's at twenty-three point nine percent target rate on a thirteen a dot. Like
0: all, all that had to happen was Kenny Galladay had to die, Wondell Robinson had to die, Evan Ingram I had to mean, get Kenny traded. Gallagher is playing now.
1: I think that he was. I think that he was just their best wide receiver, and the Giants just decided they didn't like him who, for like. Who else no died. Reason. Oh, Tony.
0: Tony. Uh, Kadarius Tony had to get traded, and then now we have Darius Slayton, and he's fine. Yeah. All right. Right, like, I'm there's no I mean, Darius Slayton. <laughs> I,
1: I, I, I hate this conversation. Yeah, I don't. This conversation is has has outlived its usefulness for sure because, like, I think that Darius Slayton is better than than people think, but I also like literally couldn't care less if you drop him in Dynasty. So
0: exactly. I,
1: <laughs> I also kind of feel that way about David Bell. So
0: stop it. I'm holding the candle for David Bell. We are Good. we are only ten weeks into or eleven weeks. What, how many games have they played? Right, eleven or twelve. They played eleven games. We're eleven games into his career. That's true. And he's ramping up as these wide receivers tend to do. And we'll just let it Tyler, ride.
1: Tyler Boyd upside for David Bell.
0: Tyler Boyd upside. He's got a wide receiver one season on his resume. Let's go. Yeah. All right. So, anyways. Uh, I don't remember how we got here. how do we get to the freaking Browns? I don't know. Uh, well, we, you—we
1: were talking about guys that you'd rather have than Elijah Moore, or rather have Elijah Moore than. And you said oh, you'd rather yeah, yeah. have Elijah Moore than Donovan Peoples Jones, and then we—yeah, that's how we got here. Yeah, Jones, and then we talked to Darius Slayton for a while. By the way, if there <laughs> is a Brown that you want, it's definitely David and Joku.
0: Oh yeah, of course. Da- we David get the light off of David been, and like, Joku too. We're, we, we did the thing that we did with Christian Kirk that has paid off. <laughs> we did that same thing with David and joku which yep. has paid off. Eventually, it's going to happen the same for Noah same thing With Elijah Moore. And Noah Fan. absolutely. Buy <laughs> Noah Fan right now. He's free and has the early career pedigree to eventually find his way. If, will and and we're going to do the exact same thing with Darius Slayton. And we're and not going to do of this group. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> We're gonna do the same thing with Rashad Bateman. That's what we're, we're Chase doing Claypool. We're gonna do the same thing with Chase Claypool. That's right. That's another good one.
1: Lavisca Chanault.
0: I, you know, I, there's a few things in life. <laughs> <laughs> few things in life I enjoy more than the Hasta Lavisca video. Like that's probably <laughs> top two in my entire life of YouTube videos I've ever seen. And I can't. I don't even know what number one is. But I'm not willing to go to number one without having you know thoroughly researched which my number one would be. Right. But uh, that Hasselaviska video is hilarious, and we're not holding a candle on for Hasselaviska, unless he's an absolute end of bench stash. He he's he's probably going to be in the NFL for a couple more years. Anything can happen. He was fine as a rookie. He was a fine prospect. I think it's Brian Edwards just clear. Brian Edwards
1: just cleared waivers, and I, I think that LaVisca's time is coming shortly thereafter. <laughs>
0: Well, let it, let it be known that uh, what did you tell me about Brian Edwards? You had a hilarious tweet to me about Brian Edwards. Yeah, I once said
1: uh, in about August of last year, I, I believe that I said something about dear interested uh, trade partner.
0: Let me, let me set the stage Thank here. you
1: for your offer of a 2022 second round pick for Brian Edwards. Uh, I will be declining this offer. Uh, something about going to the moon uh yeah it was it was not a good take it was a really fun week one game uh in which he was donuting for the entire game and drew was just like lapping around the field for like 58 minutes and then brian edward's just like not so fast like undertaker gift his way like 100 (laughs) yards in the last like minute and overtime after i think having one catch prior to that uh so we got the last laugh on Edwards for about one week, and then, and then he didn't do anything the entire rest of the year and lost his job to Zay Jones.
0: I feel like there were a few <laughs> weeks where, like in the first like three or four games, there was a couple weeks where he just like exploded in like overtime or like the last minute, and people yeah. would just lap on me hard. And then it just stopped happening. Do you know? Who, and, do you know who
1: Darius Slayton is? He's the guy that took Brian Edwards' job. Darius Slayton is Zay Jones. He's like a guy who was like a pretty shitty prospect who looked like an NFL player first year, weirdly uh, like evaporated from planet Earth for a while, and then he came back and he like made out a nice little NFL career for himself that doesn't really matter for fantasy unless he's a best yeah. ball pick. Yeah.
0: Okay, yeah, that's fair. Uh, like earlier, Jacob was talking about how One What are the chances that up. a
1: Daiko is like at this point smashed his phone in anger that we just spent 10 minutes talking about Donovan Peoples Jones, Zay Jones,
0: Darius <laughs> Slayton? <laughs> He's like nobody matters. Why are you talking about any of these players? <laughs> he's like, he's like, I don't even care. If, it's like I don't even think Drake London matters. These guys
1: are talking about Darius Slayton. <laughs> 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 I'm tempted to have Matt edit this part out. All right, we're moving on. Uh, we talked wonderful. about Elijah Moore and some other stuff for for some some reasons. Um, okay, another big breakout that of a player that is probably relevant. Uh, but look, we had a famous, irrelevant debate on this podcast before that we thought was relevant about which tight end was the tight end two in this class <laughs> between Jelani Woods and Greg Dulcich. And at this point, it's probably a debate over who's the tight end one in this class because Trey McBride has 0.3 yards per route run this season. Um, off slide, look, coach, I gotta give it to you, uh, Jelani, Jelani, Walker Woods. Uh, had a massive performance almost as massive as he is eight for ninety eight on Monday night football. Greg Dulcich has been not doing the most in recent weeks. Uh are you are you ready to claim victory here? as uh, Jelani it's Woods the right like do. Titan one like, are you are you victory laughing this yet? I think
0: we have to like have to you closed Jelani this have you Jelani closed Woods, almost like he has half of Greg Dulcich's career yards in one game. That's how good. That's how good Jelani Jelani Woods Walker is. And uh, I think you just and, have to... And who still it. has more yards this season? What's that? Who, who still has more yards this season? I don't know that it matters. What we're talking about is this week. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> pretty
1: crazy that, that he's missed only two games, has uh, over half of Tulsa's total yards for the season, and still doesn't have as many
0: yards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean his stat line started a little slow 0 0 13 33 0 27 4 0 2 that's his first you know nine games or so yeah and, th- and then he was like he was probably playing injured or something because he missed a couple games and then he comes oh, back probably nagging injury all year slowing him down only explanation for why he isn't crushing dolcic uh and then he comes back fully healthy for the first time all season i'm making all this up on the fly and he's just put up 98 Receiving arts, like an absolute uh, superstar, and uh, we should be like buying Jelani Jelani Woods Walker at every every pedestal down the aisle. He is the dude that you want in the Indianapolis passing game with superstar Matt Ryan under center. Jeff Saturday has fully unlocked this player. I saw a a thing from uh, I forget who it was now. Somebody had commented about Mike mcdaniel saying something about coaches is how you win in football Mm. uh putting players in the right position now we have just saturday putting jelani jelani walker woods in the right position obviously this is you know like this is just fate coming true and uh just have to trust the process and go and get you to jelani jelani woods honestly there's no tight end in football that is more terrifying as a human being than jelani jelani woods so he Is six seven, two hundred and fifty-two pounds. Like he is a monster. Like he's a monster among tight ends. Dude is a and runs a four six one. He's got yeah, a perfect 10 Raz score. He looks like a defensive tackle, like out there. He looks like a defensive tackle. He's untackleable because he is a defensive tackle. <laughs> and uh I like honestly, I I don't like necessarily think he's well obviously I obviously do not necessarily think this is a slam dunk bet in terms really. of this is going to pay off no matter what. It's a really, really appealing bet, because if it pays off, it would be amazing. And uh, he's got the tools that it could pay off.
1: So I notably was not a fan of Jelani Woods' college profile based on the fact that pretty much the only things holding it up were being really tall and also fast and then probably a dominator rating in his final year after transferring and doing nothing the entirety of his career at Oklahoma state, which was almost entirely fueled by touchdowns, uh, at Virginia. Um, but I would give it to him. This was a very pr- impressive performance and, uh, here so i'm not going to go by him this week because people are probably like excited but i think that because he's done absolutely nothing prior to this it will not take much for people to be like oh that was a weird trip that happened one time and means nothing if he has like two for 10 again next week uh kyle and granson missed this game with an illness they have been doing a three tight end rotation there and really a two tight end rotation is the f tight end between granson and woods maybe he was just so good in this game that they send granson to the bench permanently that would be too bad um my hope is that they kind of go back to at least somewhat of that rotation. Woods has like a couple one-catch, two-catch games. People put this in the River and mirror, and then definitely becomes like a priority guy over the course of the offseason because really, like if you're a tight end and you've shown me any reason to be even a little bit bullish, like I'm I'm going to be interested because tight end's just such a bad position. And he does have that kind of profile that we want. So that was nice. I'm still optimistic on Dulcich. He's cooled yep. off. River offense has been so bad. But in terms of like, what we expect from rookie tight ends is basically Trey McBride, which is to not exist. Um, the fact that Falsage has shown us anything, I think it's like been a letdown because he showed us so much so fast that then people just expected that to entirely continue. It's okay that that lagged a little bit. We're still talking about a tight end with an eight out of twelve, right? Fifteen percent target share, eight out of twelve. Uh, that's really strong in terms of what we want to see from a rookie tight end. Uh, you know, if he catches, if that like 50 yard bomb that he was thrown on a post route against Tennessee was thrown like three inches closer to his body. Then all of a sudden, you know, the narrative about him is, is very different. So I'm still in on Dulcich. I guess the only disappointing thing is that he had this opportunity with Judy out where I thought he could really patrol the middle of the field and he didn't really take advantage of that. And that was too bad. But um, I think this is kind of broken right now. So I'm still, still holding that hope. I
0: would prefer him over Jelani because he's
1: shown stuff in more than one game.
0: I think that Dolchich is still, like, people need to buy both of these guys because Dolchich yeah. is doing the thing that we would hope, like, first-round tight ends do, and he's doing it as, like, a third-round tight end. Right. So that's pretty exciting. Like, this is kind of, like, Mark Andrews-esque in the sense that he's getting a solid target share. He's like, not great. 15% is really good for rookie tight end, though. Like, uh, like pretty much every first-round tight end, if they hit 15% target share, I'm pretty happy with that. He's done it right. and he's only played 6 games. Like this is his first 6 games. We're we're entering the second half of his season. So it could ramp up from here. We could have a 16 17 18% target share player by end of season, which would be yep. pretty exciting. And then you factor in the fact that he is getting the down the field targets where, right. you know, most tight ends don't. That adds another layer of intrigue. We have a broken Russell Wilson that could perhaps get fixed by next year and we have a functional offense which would be pretty exciting. And I just think there's a lot of reasons to buy both players. Love that. Bulls, All right, is, is good.
1: Good bet. Dulcich Country. Let's
0: ride. Dulcich oh, Country. Never, don't Let's say that. Ride. Again. Matt, country. This, this is embarrassing. Ride. Dulcich Country. Let's
1: ride. Dulcich country. <laughs> country. Let's ride. Okay. okay. Um. Okay. I want to have one more guy before we get into some of the more theoretical conversation. I want to talk about DeAndre Swift. Uh, the Thanksgiving game. Um I I decided to to be an alpha. I decided to watch the film. I decided to comb through snap by snap, try and figure out how he was deployed, try and draw inferences from those. Uh do you have a take first about his recent downtrend of just not playing? Do we think that he's hurt? Do we think his coaches hate him? Do we think that he sucks at football? Uh you know or do we think it's something else entirely?
0: I think it's one of those things where he got hurt, and oh, I thought
1: I thought we were just going to end it. I like gave you like four different options, and I thought you were going to say it's. I think it's one of those things.
0: No, <laughs> I think it's one of the, It's one of those things. Maybe not. <laughs> that, it's specifically, one of those things. Those things. Uh, I think it's one of those things where we have a Jamal Williams going out and and playing completely fine. Like there's there's no like fault you can find in Jamal Williams in my opinion. He's done everything asked of him. He was given the opportunity, likely to the extent that he has because of the DeAndre Swift injury. And now they're like, well, we can't like put him on the bench. Cause he's, he's doing what we wanted. You know, like he's, he's earned his role, if you will. Mm. And I think, you know, Swift is probably still, and maybe not anymore, but he came back probably still injured. Like they said, they said as much. And, uh, I think f- from like a, what are we doing with DeAndre Swift right now? I think it's either you hold or you buy. Like there, I'm absolutely not selling DeAndre Swift. He's priced around like running back 13 or something on Fantasy Calc. He's still scoring at like a 13 or 14 point pace. His target share is still number eight in the NFL among running backs or thereabouts. And that's with him barely playing. Like he's only got a 30% uh snap 30 opportunity share and snap share on a season and he's still scoring like 13 points per game like the ceiling is there if he ever gets to play again and he was a second round running back that played well and he's gonna get to play again like there's little doubt in my mind that this is the low point for deandre swift so we should either buy or if you're not in a position like i wouldn't bank on deandre swift coming back next week and being back to 18 points a game I don't think that's like – it's going to happen at no, some point, but I, I wouldn't bet on it. It's happen
1: in 2022, honestly, but hope it does. Yeah.
0: Like next year. Like, I, like yeah, I, said, I wouldn't count on it this year. Probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't count on it this year. It could happen this year. Like, anything is possible, but I'm not, yeah. like, being like, you need to go get DeAndre Swift because the breakout is imminent. Like, that's not the state I'm right. in. I'm like, you got to go get DeAndre Swift because the breakout will happen. It's going to happen. We just don't know when.
1: Here's my read about it. I want to put out a disclaimer. Spoiler alert. Pew, pew. This is entirely baseless. Got feel. Film takes. Data-free. Speculation. Embarrassing. Um, but yeah, I watched. I got the privilege of watching the entirety of that Thanksgiving game. Uh, and I was mostly really trying to hone in on the lines running back rotation. And like what kind of info can we glean beyond just seeing how many snaps he was playing and how many carries he was getting, how many routes he was getting. And like when he was playing, you know, third down, second down, goal lines, et cetera. I really wanted to look in terms of how he's being used in the offense and in the scheme. And what I came away with was very positive. I think for Deandre Swift's long-term outlook in terms of the routes that he was running, almost every route that he was running was either a wheel route an angle route, a choice route, some kind of running back route in which the running back is usually a first or second read within the scheme of the offense, right? We see all the time, if you're just watching a game, that plenty of running back routes, that was also an air quotes for the audio listeners, uh, are not really routes. Like a lot of times it's just a running back kind of leaks off to the side and if nobody's open downfield then the quarterback checks it to them, right? They're like the fourth or fifth read on the play. Uh, that was not this, right? Swift was running an actual running back route tree then you bring in Justin Jackson and it was more pass blocking check releases outlets, you know, essentially the stuff that where the running back is less of a primary focus in terms of the play design. And then in terms of his rushing work, you know, Swift was getting some stuff, mostly out of shotgun, mostly tendency breakers stuff where, you know, defense is expecting pass you're bringing in uh, personnel that, uh, that displays that you're running the ball against favorable looks. You're getting running backs into space. He also gets to play on the two point conversion play that they had, which ends up being a run to him to the outside. All this to say, I think that there's generally been two narratives, right? About Swift. One is that he's not playing enough because he's not healthy enough. And two is that he's not playing enough because the coaching staff has lost trust in him because of his deficiencies as a player. And I have been pretty vocal going back to the summer about some deficiencies that I think Swift has as a player, mostly in relation to his rushing ability That being said, I really think that this is mostly health related to a point or at least as it relates to Justin Jackson getting snaps. Like I think that if Swift were fully healthy, he would be getting all of his own role plus all the Justin Jackson role and maybe a little bit of Jamal's stuff. I think that he is not shown to be a reliable enough decision maker and running back between the tackles where I do think for probably most of Swift's career, unless he shows stuff that he hasn't to this point, he will either be accompanied with Jamal Williams or a Jamal Williams type who takes 10 to 15 carries uh, between the tackles each game and potentially takes some goal line carries away from Deandre Swift. I think that's just kind of the deal with Swift. But if you hate a player, you don't go out of your way to play him in situations where he's an intentional read within the offense where you're taking advantage of his skill set as much as possible. To me, I think his shoulder is in a spot where it needs surgery after the off season. He's probably putting it at risk by getting it into harm's way and taking further hits on it. And I think they're looking at it and they're like, "You know what? We're not going really anywhere this season. This guy is a part of our plans." And we're going to use them when we can, but we're not going to put on necessary hits on his body when he's not doing things that he can do considerably better than Jamal Williams and Justin Jackson. We don't really need DeAndre Swift to just sit around and be an outlet in the flat, and he's not, you know, providing so much value on these carries between the twenties that we're going to put him out there time and time again and take that punishment on his body. So. I do think what I saw is pretty bullish on Swift. I would be buying Swift um, for honestly the first time I've said that until about early last year where I've been into buying Swift and and I am right now. I think that he's a really good option on, you know, maybe not a contending team in the sense of that he's probably not going to provide you a ton of points. Um, But just from like a value perspective where I think a guy who's going to rise in value, there's not that many young running backs that I think are inefficiently priced because people are so – well. Not that many young running backs that I think are inefficiently priced and that they're priced too low. Um, Because people are still thirsty for young running backs, right? Like, you're paying such a premium on guys like Pierce, guys like Stevenson, guys, you know, even guys that are more secure, guys like Etienne and Walker, who we like more. You're paying such a massive premium. I think Swift has an opportunity to be a a pretty valuable buy low for you. Um, Not without risk, but I think it's more likely than not that he winds up in a really valuable fantasy role again next year. So
0: just, just... To like set the record straight, uh, David Gauthieri, one of the patron analysts, had tweeted, I believe it was yesterday, uh, about how Damian Pierce is valued like the same as DeAndre Swift in mm. Dynasty right now, which is an interesting proposition because despite DeAndre Swift playing like a super part time role, like almost a backup of a backup role or like usage in terms of opportunity. Mm. deandre swift is outscoring Damian pierce on a points per game basis wow. like this is like th- this is why Damian or this is why deandre swift is a buy and Damian pierce is a sell is because of like the way that deandre swift is going to score points is a way that very few other running backs can score points and it's a very efficient way to score points because he gets mm. most of them through the error in the red zone so like Damian pierce right now is at 12.9 fantasy points deandre swift is at uh uh, shoot, what was he at? Thirteen point one or somewhere thereabouts. And Swift is barely playing. So, like, I get like, I think where people get hung up sometimes is you're you're you know you buy DeAndre Swift, that running back two in the world kind of thing last summer and or two summers ago in uh in your startup draft and you're expecting this like huge performance. He's gonna rule the world, right? And then he mm-hmm. doesn't. And now you're sitting here being like, oh, man, like he's only scoring 13 points per game. This sucks. I bought him on RB2. He's now producing at like RB15 or wherever. RB20, I think he's right now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that is awful. Feels bad, right? But then when you look at it and you're like, well, actually, like, you know, this is kind of about as bad as you could imagine. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. And he's still scoring RB20 points and he's dropped a lot in price. Like you can't sell him now a we're going to see better days almost assuredly unless he like you know has some catastrophic injury and we never get to see him play football again that's always a possibility but that's a possibility with any running back or any nfl or any football player, yeah. really so from like a projectable standpoint we have to expect the underswift to do something again at some point and he's priced like he probably is damien pierce and that's just really weird so, yeah, I'm taking it back. I said hold and or buy, likely buy. I'm just putting it at, like, hard buy. Just it's don't expect hard production now. Like, if I'm you're hard you. buying, it's for production next year, not
1: yeah. next week. Yeah, anything that happens this year is a bonus. You know, I don't think it's impossible. No. But but I think I, my, my concern is that I don't know that the shoulder it Id- I think that it's the shoulder that's causing him the issues at this point. And I don't think that that's going to get corrected. Like, I don't, I don't think it's a situation where it's just going to get better. I feel like it's, it's less a concern about, um, you know, can he play on this? And it's more a concern about, is there risk to him with, if he gets hit and stuff. So I think he's just being bubble wrapped a little bit. And to me, it's like, if he's being bubble wrapped now, he's probably just going to keep being bubble wrapped because he's not getting shoulder surgery anytime soon until after the off season. So that, that concerns me a little bit, but he um, could
0: get bubble out short a 50% opportunity share guy with the target yeah, share possible. to supplement him up to you know 15 16 points per game. oh it's possible and we're paying the, like that price like that's what we're right. paying for right now but yeah I just that's that would
1: be the thing I wouldn't I wouldn't make him a buy low in the context of this year. I think he's a buy low in the context of next year but I do think from some managers that now would be the time to buy because some managers yeah. that have him as a contender are like well, what the fuck am I doing holding this guy? You know, can I, maybe they don't have a first round pick. Maybe they don't want to move their first round pick. And they're like, well, I have to get some points here. Um, I'll use Swift instead, you know, and, and you could potentially make a good value move. Like I would love to trade. Uh, I mean, yeah, really any older running back that's scoring a lot of points right now for Swift it would probably be, you know, an easy, easily envisionable type of deal that you could get done. You know, maybe a DeAndre Hopkins, something like that.
0: Yeah. There's, there's tons of options to trade for DeAndre Swift right now. I think it's, yeah. It's uh, it's one of the things that I think a lot of people really struggle with in Dynasty is they want to buy they don't want to buy players that aren't doing well. (laughs) You know, like who are the buy lows? And you like tell them they're like, Well, all those guys suck. It's like, yeah, that's why you can buy them low. And And then the reverse is true when you know Damian Pierce is breaking tackles like a maniac, and we're like, hey, you gotta sell Damian Pierce. Like, we're not selling Damian Pierce, he's breaking every tackle. Like every everyone who tries to tackle him just bounces off wants selling Damien Pierce. And it's like now we're like, yeah, you probably should have sold Damian yeah. Pierce when you could have got a 23-3 first for him. You're gonna right. be really sad about that in three months or five months or however far we are from the draft. So like I think it's one of those things where you just have to like wrap your brain around, yeah, I'm buying I'm not buying for points, I'm buying for future points. And then which, I, you, which
1: I almost uh, never want to do on a player that's playing games. Like this DeAndre Swift situation is really an exception to the rule for me.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a few other situations. You like, do it
1: more often than I do, but those are usually circumstances where I disagree with you.
0: Yeah, like all the times that I'm right, when I'm like, you just need to buy Christian Kirk because it's going to happen. You need to buy David Njoku because it's going to happen. Those are the times that you need to be buying those players where we have peripherals, we have early career indicators that these players are going to be successful and you just need to trust the process and go get them when they're cheap you don't go and buy christian kirk for a first round pick last year that would be foolish you go and buy christian kirk now or you bought him two years ago when he was like basically free so anyways that's all,
1: I got. all right Uh, That was the ownership portion of the conversation. I want to talk about two other things today, two other players, but really more a concept. Uh, I wrote in this week's Hitchhiker's Guide to Running Back, which is my weekly column. Uh, about the idea of proxy variables and I wrote about it mostly you know I don't even know if we're going to get it to him because this is more of a redraft take but I wrote it mostly in regard to the running back dead zone and Josh Jacobs who of course has just been an absolute league winner superstar this year dropped a 48 point performance this last week and you know I talked about I think some of the uh, issues in which people had done this proxy variable analysis on ADP trends, you know, notably the running back dead zone and it ended up kind of leveling people where if you draw a sample over a long period of time and say, okay, these players are failing at this ADP and these players are succeeding at this ADP. If people then become aware of that, they start making draft decisions because of that, you end up changing the market entirely. Anyways, If people want to check out that full piece, uh, they can do that on playerprofiler.com. But what was interesting is that as I was writing this piece, we were having two discussions about two rookie wide receivers in the Bulletproof Discord, Chris Olave and Drake London, in which some of these same proxy variable conversations were being brought up. And I'll get into what that is in a sec, if people don't know. the First was we had talked about okay are we willing to just say Chris Olave is the clear standout wide receiver one in this rookie class or is he still in a tier at the top or is he potentially for one person on this podcast not even in their top tier uh, and the other question was okay what about if Drake London face plants uh, you know and we'll talk about that so maybe let's start with the Olave conversation then we'll quickly pivot to the London faceplant conversation. And then we'll get back into this idea of proxy variables tying us all kind of together. But uh, why is Chris Olave not your clear wide receiver one out of the rookie class at this point?
0: Uh, Chris Olave is not my clear wide receiver one of the rookie class at this point because I am projecting players into the future, whereas other people are merely looking at what they're doing today. And I think that is a tremendously poor decision to make. So... That's pretty much it. What I mean by that, I'll, maybe I'll elaborate. I guess considering working. Uh, yeah. What I mean by that is Chris Olave is you know he's he's got a few different things that have historically not been excellent for high ceiling production. One of those things is his average depth of target, which I'm slightly less concerned about now because it's come down a lot. When we first had this conversation, I think it was at like 18 or something ridiculous. Now it's at 14.8, which is like just outside the range that we usually look for. Um, so it's not mm. precluding him from that standpoint. But before that, we actually got the mid-season report from Matt Harmon on reception perception, and I was concerned with Chris Olave winning exclusively in these deep quadrants of the field, and I was like, what if he's only a deep threat? That could be a bad thing. Sure, he's getting a lot of targets, but we're dealing with a small sample. If he's only a deep threat, those targets are going to come down. Then we got the reception perception report, which said Chris Olave is winning everything. Crystal Lobby is one of the best route runners in football, and that kind of changes everything. Now I'm no longer worried about that, and now his ADOT has come down, and now I think... So you you
1: invented a fake reason to be worried, and then it was turned out that reason was fake, and so you're no longer worried.
0: Well, what happened was everything changed, and we got actual no, information. Uh, nothing actually
1: changed. Uh, exactly changed. what exactly what you were told uh, so would happen is what happened.
0: That's one thing. Number yeah, one, thing that was a bit worrisome early in the season and it should be noted not I'm, I'm getting a lot of flack for saying uh that we shouldn't have been buying crystal lobby in week three i exclusively said to go and buy weekly lobby in my mm-hmm. column on the patreon so mm-hmm. get out of here that was before everyone no, else got in on crystal Lavi, and then his price skyrocketed after that so anyways moral of the story here was nothing and we'll continue the other issues with the Crystal Lobby profile for me were simply that he is not a prototype, which is, again, not as much of a concern as it would have been, say, five years ago because the NFL has changed tremendously in the past few years. And we're getting more small players drafted highly in the last three years than we have in like the last 20 combined. Like It's crazy. We're yeah. we, The NFL has completely flipped that, and I'm at the point now where I don't care if someone isn't a prototype. But I kind of like them to be a prototype still. Like I, I'll give Drake London a little boost because I'm like ah, he's still a big dude that's probably gonna play X. Whereas Chris Olave is like ah, he's a small dude. He he's not even playing X. He's playing flanker. I don't know. Maybe maybe he's gonna get a whole bunch of targets for the rest of his life. Maybe he'll be a thirty percent target share player at flanker, which we don't normally see. It's possible.
1: Wait, oh. these are the only things. What about the what about the whole thread that you put about late declares and early declares? I'll get
0: into that. You want well, to lay a, okay. lay well you said
1: you said the only other thing was that he wasn't a prototype.
0: No, not the only other thing. The next well. thing we we're only at 54 minutes in this podcast. We have promised the masses one hour and 45 minutes of runtime. Oh, I think we're I'm going to cover okay. right, Let's hear it. All right. Let's so then it. the last thing that I think is probably my biggest concern from the start has always been that he's a senior. Um he is he did not declare in 2020. One when he probably should have, or probably shouldn't have, I guess, because this has worked out pretty well for him. But when we thought he should have declared in 2021, he chose not to. And I thought that was a bit foolish at the time. Uh, and this is kind of one of those things where it's like, you know, we can understand why he didn't, because he probably wasn't going to be drafted 11th overall, like he was in 2022. He probably went back and actually improved his his uh, draft position in the NFL draft by staying in school an extra year. But Mm. what we see with seniors, generally speaking is that they just don't have the super high ceilings that the, that the juniors have that the early declares have. And when we look at things like, well, should we just throw out his profile at this point? And I think that's a really fair question. And I don't have like a concrete answer on it because how on earth will we have a concrete answer on at what specific point do we throw out a prior so what we can do is we can look at all of the players that have done similar things to what Chris Alave has been doing. Chris Alave is at what? How many points per game is Chris Alave at now? Uh, 14.2. 14.2 points per game. So if we yeah. look at the seniors drafted rounds one to three for the past 20 years, we have... But I mean, he's been... at.
1: He. I think the 14.2 points per game undersells his impressiveness. Like we're talking oh. about a... 26% targets per route run guy on a massive air yard share, like league leading air yard share. Like, this, like, he's playing with Andy Dalton and he has not particularly ran hot on hot touchdown luck. Like, I think this is a profile that he's laid down where it's theoretically possible that he could be hitting a 17, 18 point per game ceiling this year.
0: Uh, his expected fantasy points isn't 17, 18 points, is
1: it? No, that's not what I'm saying his expected fantasy points would be. Well, I'm not saying, saying like he's in a this particular situation. situation. I'm saying that like, he's not... I'm saying that his peripheral numbers, like in terms of how many targets he's earning, um, where on the field he's earning them, like if we just sort of drop this into a better situation, this profile is like backable up to like 17 18 points per game without being particularly shocking to see that is is what i'm saying i'm not saying in this exact situation he should be Mm. scoring more he's running cold
0: so all that we can do is compare it to the history of the world right that's our only real option here we can throw it all priors or we can look at history and let history dictate how we evaluate the situation going forward so we have Two players that are seniors drafted one to three with greater than 15 points per game. They're Eddie Royale and Brandon Ayuk. I am a large fan of Brandon Ayuk. Have been for since his rookie year when he played really, really well and did all the things that we would have liked him to do. He came into like, I think that buying Brandon Ayuk in 2021 was the right choice. It didn't work out. I think it was still the right choice. Buying Chris Olave is potentially different, but not necessarily different. The the reason that Brandon Ayuk was so much a slam dunk buy was most of that offseason, he was being drafted around wide receiver 20. He wasn't all that expensive. He had a bunch of narratives about George Kittle missing time and Debo Samuel missing time and blah, blah, blah. Everybody's gone through this 100 times already. Anyway, Brandon Ayuk has never actually done anything awesome, possibly because of the presence of George Kittle and Debo Samuel. Uh, eddie royale basically disappeared from the world but eddie royale is nowhere near the prospect that chris Olave was chris Alavi is head and shoulders over both of these guys in my opinion in terms of prospect uh, quality then we have terry mclaurin who is scored 13.7 again not even close to the same level of prospect as chris Olave, and didn't have as good of a rookie year as chris Olave. debo samuel chase claypool uh, these are both guys that did similar things, but not nearly as impressive as Chris Olave. None of these guys are actually one for one comps for Chris Olave. We do not have a one for one comp for Chris Olave. Chris Olave should be in a, in the latest edition of the rankings on Bulletproof F- or Patreon.com forward slash BulletproofFF. We I have Chris Olave ranked as an A buy. Like you must buy Chris Olave because he isn't being valued like a superstar yet. He's valued at wide receiver seven or eight or something on fantasy calc, which I think is a pretty fair price. And I think what's going to happen by the time we get to the off season is that people are going to look at Chris Olave and say, this guy is a superstar, which is fair. He is doing everything that we could ask him to do as a rookie. You cannot put together a more impressive non-Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase rookie year than what Chris Olave has done. So I think from that standpoint, we should feel confident that Chris Olave is a exceptionally good player going forward. And I have him as a buy. And I would like everyone to acknowledge that. And while you have
1: having... and you have him in a separate tier below Drake London and in a tier with George Pickens.
0: That's right. And I have him in a separate tier from Drake London because so you Drake London gaslighting your audience. is amazing. Drake, all the things that we love about uh what's his name? What's this guy's talking about? Chris Olave. All the things we love about Chris Olave is basically Drake London is is doing the same things or better. So like Drake London has like a twenty eight or twenty nine percent target share last I looked. Maybe it's come down. I haven't looked in a couple weeks, but it was like twenty eight, twenty nine percent like very recently, which is just wildly high. He's also
1: I only have a CPR up and it's it's good. It's two point three three, which is strong. His target share is twenty six percent. 26.1%, 26.1%, which is
0: very good. Okay, so he's in line with Chris Alave now. Because Alave's around there, twenty-five something, isn't he?
1: I'm not sure. I only have uh per route numbers pulled up, but they have uh, the exact
0: same target share, 26.1% per player profiler.com, which is wild. Okay. So we one have...
1: big difference though is that Alave is a forty point seven percent air yard share versus a twenty-five point one percent air yard share for London.
0: Yeah, and one other big difference is that Drake London is a bulletproof 21-year-old early declare. And that is really where the differences come from, is that we should be projecting Drake London for larger gains in the offseason than we should be projecting, projecting Chris Olave from. And if we were going to talk about, well, Chris Olave is, you know, really, really good. Sure, fair. He is really, really good. I've no, I'm not pushing back on that. However, I am pushing back on Drake London also having to share the field with Kyle Pitts and Chris Olave having to share the field with who, who's number I mean, two? Like Alvin Kamara. Well, we're
1: gonna get a chance to see what London can do without Kyle Pitts. The first, the first opportunity he had he was alpha by Alameda Zacchiusa. Uh, but well, imagine I imagine
0: like, we're talking another level, another caliber of player. We're not talking about the superstars today, Jacob. I believe <laughs> Alameda Zacchiusa out of this. Okay, huh. i yeah. to learn how to say his name because he's such a superstar. Everybody just knows who I say when I when I call him Oz. So. <laughs> Anyways, what we're looking at when we're looking at these players that have these crazy high target shares or crazy high points per game as rookies. When we look at the seniors that do it, we don't get amazing results. When we look at the juniors that do it, we get amazing results in terms of career production. It's not a, it's it's just not the same thing. And when we look at that kind of comparing as we go down. Okay, we're going to look at 20% target share guys in each bucket, we're gonna look at 25% in each bucket, we're gonna look at 18% in each bucket, like the early declares always, as a whole, outproduce the seniors. So for me, I'm just gonna go ahead and bet on the history of the junior being the better player than the senior. And it's really not all that complicated. Okay, so here, here's
1: where I'm going to get into this um, proxy variable take. So, first of all, I want to talk about what a proxy variable is, if people don't know. Basically, a proxy variable is any sort of variable where we're using one thing to predict the result of another thing that isn't directly causal but is correlative, right? So in this case, you know, we're talking about Chris Olave being a late declare, Drake London being an early declare. and. What I certainly would stand by, and we're going to talk about this a little bit too, I certainly would stand by is the idea that, yeah, it actually does matter, uh, early declare versus late declare. It has over time. This has signal. That being said, despite it having signal, uh, I will also say that no catch that Chris Olave makes or does make is made or not made based on when he decided to leave Columbus and enter the NFL draft, right? Like, it's not a directly causal variable so that's that's sort of the difference in terms of what i'm talking about proxy variables how we treat those i think as they start to linger is interesting one thing that's notable about chris Olave that makes him different than most almost all uh late declares even among first round picks etc is that he actually did have early production uh drew i think has more expansive comps and so if he would like to fill in the blanks with any other ones that he's able to uh that would be delightful but at least from the list that i was able to compile together back in draft season which i just went and revisited which was i think the last 10 years the only uh late declare first round pick that was looking at first round picks that had Two seasons above the production threshold line that we would expect to see among top 24 or better NFL wide receivers in their first three years. So essentially the only ones who would have qualified as bulletproof had they got the same draft capital, had they uh, also declared early was Corey Davis, that was like the only guy who had those two out of three years. If you drop the thresholds a little bit beyond the top 24 line that campus to Canton uses that I'm citing, you could have potentially gotten Tavon Austin and Kendall Wright in there. They were very close the second year and they hit one. Uh, Chris Olave did, right? The issue for that is I don't really know what to take from that. Like it'd be one thing if it was like, oh, well, all of the senior declares who are bad are the ones who did nothing for three years and then perked up the seniors and then they declared for the NFL draft. And the ones who produce early and just stick around in school for a year are all good. That would be easy. We would just not care about declare status anymore. Unfortunately, that's not really the case. We don't have that big of a sample on it to say definitively either way, if declare status has signal beyond those who don't break out early, we have some inferences that would say that it still does matter because we haven't seen in the limited examples we have, these players go on to have tons and tons of NFL success. Um, the Alave case is just rare because most of the time if you are a power five player and you have early production, then they will usually draft you. And if you do happen to stick around for another year, usually they still won't draft you, right? Like usually then you'll just end up like Tyler Johnson where like the NFL passed on you before and then they pass on you again because they've decided that whatever quality, you know, you lacked the first time, you still lack. And so, Examples like Chris they don't come around very often, right? Usually you look more at guys who break out later. Um, any comment on that quick before I get to the rest of my tangent?
0: Uh, no, I, I can give you a few more examples. It's not limited to first round picks, but first, second, third round picks that were highly right, productive sure, throughout their yeah, well, collegiate yeah. career. We have starting with the good players and going to the bad players. So this is this is quite the list: Jordy Nelson, Braylon Edwards, Greg Jennings. What Vincent are you Jackson. using,
1: by the way, to say good throughout their collegiate career? Like, what what is what is the basis of good? Uh, produced throughout their collegiate
0: above career? my thresholds, which are not the same as Captain Scanton. Right. Uh, produced so above my thresholds. Basically, what you're saying
1: so this this group would be essentially bulletproof. Like, am I getting this right that these are players that would have been bulletproof eligible had they declared early?
0: I don't know that they would be bulletproof eligible necessarily because there's a little more to it than that but they likely could have been Bulletproof eligible. Okay. If that makes sense. I don't know, like I didn't sort this by some of the age stuff. Yeah. There's a couple other factors here. Okay. But for the most part, these guys were productive throughout their college careers. Like they're very productive
1: and productive early. Not, not like, not like Devonta Smith, for instance, who was very productive in college, but it all came year three, year four.
0: Exactly. These guys were productive throughout their college careers. Okay. Uh, so again, we'll start from the top: Jordy Nelson, uh, Braylon Edwards, Greg Jennings, Vincent Jackson, T.Y. Hilton, Tyler Lockett, Emmanuel Sanders, Roy Williams, Lee Evans, Kenny Galladay, Michael Gallup, Kendall Wright, Jordan Matthews, Kevin Curtis, Corey Davis, James Washington, Leonte Carew Andy Isabella, Titus Young, Anthony Miller, Michael Floyd, Tyrone Calico, who I've never heard of since two thousand three, uh, Bryant Johnson. Rashawn Woods, Derek Hagan, Michael Jenkins, and Jason Hill. So, like, pretty mixed results. But like, think- chris Lobby is better than like ninety percent of these guys. Yeah, I mean,
1: my my issue with most of that list is that. Uh, oh yeah, Michael Floyd per the C to uh, C because he was on my list, but he didn't quite. He was like just like Kendall Wright, where he just missed it by a little bit. Anyway. Um, my, my issue with most of this list is that a ton of these guys... Now, I didn't take notes on each individual one of them encyclopedically, as you just listed off a bunch of names. But uh, the bulk of what I heard sounded like there were a lot of names included there who were group of five players, and also a lot of players who went in like round three, who went in round two, in which there's sort of a like chicken-and-the-egg scenario where it's very likely, or at least we can probably reliably infer, that these players would not have been bulletproof eligible in terms of the draft capital they received. Like They would not have gone in round one or round two had they declared after their junior year, either because they still didn't even go in round one or round two after their senior year, or because it's just very unlikely that they would have prior to. With Olave, I think it's a little bit different. Like I don't think he would have been the 11th overall pick had he come out as a junior, but I, I think that it's probably pretty likely he would have been drafted in round two. It wouldn't have been super shocking if he went in round one it's all speculation. We don't know for sure, but I do think that that puts him in a slightly different conversation. All this being said, I'm not like using this to rewrite history and say that, oh, this late declare stuff just a proxy variable. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have any signal. We shouldn't have ever cared about it in the first place. What I am saying though, is I think that in this scenario where we've already seen that he is good, I think that I'm willing to give it a little bit less weight. And that's because I think that The idea of these direct variables that we consider when we're evaluating players, you know, these are things that I think have more lingering effect, even if they aren't showing up in what's happening currently. For example, I I think that Amon Ross St. Brown, a player who I love very dearly, I think at some point has a glass ceiling. Now, his glass ceiling might be like wide receiver six overall. Like, it's it's still probably a very high glass ceiling. But I think there are aspects of his game that have a glass ceiling in the sense that he's a lower op player who is used in a way that most offenses don't orient orient their offense around, right? It's not very common that we see an NFL team over a large number of years orient their entire passing offense around throwing 30% of the time to a low dot slot wide receiver. I think that that gives him somewhat of additional fragility even in ways that it doesn't show up right now. In a way that, for instance, at this point, his draft capital doesn't to me. Like, I think he's done enough now where I no longer really care about him being a round 4 pick. I care about maybe some of the reasons that were reasons why he was a round 4 pick, like I just mentioned. With Alave at this point, I think it's fair if you want to emphasize the prototype aspect to still emphasize that in the sense that that doesn't really go away. I think at this point I'm kind of over caring about the late declare because during the draft process it was like, well, you know, we don't know where he would have been drafted if he had just declared coming out. You know, are we going, what are we potentially double counting? If we say, well, he would have been this way, uh, you know, he would have still been drafted highly if he declared after year three. So let's just ignore the fact that he's a late declare. Well, then we shouldn't be factoring in that he was the 11th overall pick that he went round one, right? All of these things. We can't live in alternate realities. At this point though, what we do know is that he did legitimately produce as a sophomore and as a junior. He is extremely good at football. And so the idea that this late declare status, that basically him making the decision to choose to stay in Columbus for a senior year, even if the NFL did at that time say, yeah, we're not going to draft you in the first round or the second round, even if so, they were just clearly wrong. So we're looking at a prospect who kind of hit what he needed to hit in college to be BPP eligible, who has shown in the NFL that he is clearly going to be a hit. You know, it's really just a matter of how massive is the hit where I want to be a little bit more context-driven and I want to be looking at these players a little bit more individually and I'm pretty much over-caring at all about Chris Olave's declare status at this point in time. But I want to make very clear the distinction because I think we're going to have a lot of this conversation coming into draft season where people are going to be like, LOL, you idiots, you faded Chris Olave because he's a senior, we should no longer ever care about declare status. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think that Chris Olave succeeding makes me no longer care about declare status for all wide receivers, but I don't really care about Chris Olave's particular declare status for the purposes of Chris Olave anymore.
0: See, and that, that's interesting to me that you say that. I think you're right that we need to still care about early declare status and prospecting for sure. I find it interesting, though, that you're like, ah, well, we could see that this happened or that this matters. And then we can see that it still matters after the rookie year, depending on if you're comparing early declare to senior, like when you're comparing apples to apples, you're comparing 25% target share guys in the early declare or the senior bucket. We still see the early declares outproduce the seniors. So when when we are comparing apples to apples, we're still seeing it matter even after we're comparing their rookie year and not their prospect profile. We're talking about prospect profiles done. We're just looking at, let's look at the, senior versus or declare on what they did as rookies. So, so I think matters. that
1: there's a difference. I think that there's a difference in 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 how we view a lot like, like you had admitted, you said he's like a, was a better prospect on the whole than most of these guys. Think about like the game. Think about Jenga, right? If I think about like Chris Alave's Jenga tower at this point in time, it's like with what we know, right? We know that he's a really good NFL player. We know that he was a really good college player year one through year three. And we know that he stayed for a senior year in which he was pretty mediocre. If you like Take out the senior year Jenga piece from the Chris Olave Jenga set. Everything else just holds together fine. Like it would still make sense that he had this production in college, and then he's really good in the NFL, and the structure would not fall out. With like a Brandon Ayuk, if you just take out his senior si- season from existence, then we're now looking at like a bus tier Juco prospect with one year of mediocre production who then flashed for one really big year in the NFL. And it would be very fair to be like, yeah, I still have a lot of questions about this guy sustaining this moving forward. Right. In fact, his senior year of actually producing gave us increased confidence about Brandon Ayuk that we would not have had based on the rest of the profile in a way that Chris Olave's didn't like he only lost stock his senior year. Anything that existed in his profile existed on a standalone basis without it. And I think that that is a legitimate difference when we're talking about looking at individual players and making decisions on individual players and applying context to those players. I think that it's important to look at it in that light.
0: I think we're like, I guess where my pushback comes from is you're like, well, we know he would have been drafted highly as a junior. I'm like, I I don't know that he would have been. He was, I believe like wide receiver eight or so in most people's rankings as a like, Potential declare in the 2021 draft. Right, but I'm saying I actually don't really care now. Like, this You're is the saying, same argument.
1: That, this is the same th- argument that we had about Amon ra St. Brown last year. And I'm not going to pattern match to say that I was clearly right about that. And so, thus, I'm right about this. But, like, eventually, there was like a one month interval where I had fully got on the Amon ra train and you hadn't quite, but you eventually did. Um, so, props to you. Despite what Fantasy Receipts has told you, you did eventually get <laughs> very firmly onto the Amon Ross train. And my argument had. It's funny, we ha- we're having this exact same argument now, and I forgot that we had this argument. Basically, my argument with Amon ra was like, okay, the fact that he went round four at draft time and was, for people who don't remember, Amon ra St. Brown was a bulletproof eligible prospect at the moment that he declared, who became not bulletproof when he did not get drafted in the first two rounds, uh, similar to David Bell, except that David Bell still got drafted round three, so he retained coin flip status. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown got drafted in round four, so he fell all the way through to bus tier because Much, uh, yeah. we put everybody into bus tier regardless of your college profile. And my stance was that at the time that we did this, that was the correct decision. But that after we had already seen him play in the NFL, and be really, really good. Now we're looking at a player who was really good in college and really good in the NFL, and we shouldn't really care about the fact that he went in round four anymore. Like, we're talking about direct variables and proxy variables. The direct variable said, this guy's going to be really good. He's always been really good. Then there were proxy variables that kind of lost their signal to me the moment when they stopped predicting things accurately, and we can say, okay... In this case, it didn't apply. This guy was good. The NFL made a mistake and we should focus a lot more on the college production side and his NFL production side and a lot less on where he was drafted. And that's how I feel about Chris Alave now, where I'm not saying we should have ignored things at the time. I'm not saying at the time of the draft, we should have said, well, this guy uh, you know, was really, he could have been bulletproof if we make him an early declare and we just pretend that he was drafted in round two. I'm not saying we should have been writing revisionist history on draft day, nor should we with prospects going forward. But at this point in time, I, I really don't care about like, I think we can just kind of pretend like his senior season in college didn't exist because it doesn't actually have any direct bearing on what he's doing in the NFL and the rest of the profile holds up.
0: So if he had a three percentage point, lower target share, you would change your stance.
1: Like in, in like it, when now, like right now. Yeah. Uh, not really. I mean, I, I guess I would change my stance like in the sense that I, I, wouldn't think that he is like clearly and decisively above Drake London. Um, I, don't, I, don't I wouldn't I really, really change Freak my like London. macro stance on uh, like Olave and how much we should care about the fact that he was a late declare. I wouldn't care. That I,
0: much, I, so. I think where my, or not my hangout, my like, okay, I'm kind of in is that he's like head and shoulders above everyone else. But if yeah. he wasn't head and shoulders above everyone else, he had a 3% lower target. Yeah, but you the are in the chair, 3%. Blanche. Hey.
1: Do you know that movie quote? It's like, if I wasn't in this chair, it's like, but you are in the chair, Blanche.
0: No, I don't know that movie quote. What movie is it?
1: I honestly don't even... What movie is it?
0: If you're if you're listening to the podcast and you hear this section of the podcast, please let us know what movie, this terrible movie quote. Oh, Whatever
1: be. Happened to Baby Jane. I've never actually seen the movie, but my dad just used to say that quote all the time. <laughs> um, it's like a really old movie. Like, it's in black and
0: white. Yeah, so I get, where I'm going with this is that if we had... Chris Olave kind of comparable by being three percentage points lower to every other good senior, you would still be pounding the drum that we need to not treat Chris Olave like the other seniors. Less so, but yes. Wild. All right.
1: Like, because I, I think that it's to me the difference between him and these other seniors is not as much that he's so much better in the NFL as these seniors, it's that he was so much better in college than these seniors. Like if Brandon i okay here's here's the, here's the better way that I would phrase it if if um, if Brandon Ayuk's target share was three points higher, I wouldn't say that we should have completely ignored the fact that he was a senior declare.
0: No, I, I like I th- I think really what it comes down to and w- why I'm making this like Chris Olave stance that I is like kind of I don't want to say flimsy but it's like. I'm saying I don't want Chris Olave when he's priced like a superstar. That's what I'm saying. That's my stance on Chris Olave. As of today, I'm fine with Chris Olave. And to be
1: clear, I don't either because he plays wide receiver, but like, you know, like in terms of a Chris Olave, qua Chris Olave take (laughs) pro like, but I, you know, Justin, Justin Jefferson is like, I think has like a 20% chance to be the best wide receiver of all time. And I mean, he's probably a sell right now, in my opinion. So, I'm just saying like eventually if Chris Olave is the wide receiver 3 a dynasty in startups like I will never draft him in a startup at wide receiver 3 prices to be clear. But so, that has nothing to do with Chris Olave being a senior declarer is what I'm saying that just has to do with well, the fact I think it he's a wide receiver.
0: I think it absolutely should. Because it's if, like if, if, if I'll put it, okay, I'll put it this way: If Drake London,
1: if Drake London was doing what Chris Olave was doing, then I would say the exact same things that I'm saying about Chris Olave, which is that Drake London is incredible and you should buy him, and he's awesome, and he's going to be a superstar, and you should trade him for a quarterback or tight end.
0: See, and I, I would have the same take, except I would have a mountain of evidence showing that when players do this when they're juniors, it means superstar. Whereas when Chris Olave does this, I don't have a mountain of evidence saying, "Hey, look at th- all these guys took the same path." It's totally normal, and we should bank on this. Like right, but If that's Rick only, London was wider for three, I'd be saying buy again.
1: Right, but that's because you're deciding which value, which variables carry value at which points, right? Like, okay, here's another difference, right? There was another way you could rearrange this table and group in Chris Olave with other people who had similar production in college to him, right? Now you're bringing in a bunch of early declares into the sample. You're probably filtering out some of these late declares into the sample and say players with this type of college production profile and this type of NFL profile become superstars. Like that is another possibly viable way to arrange this in a way that it wouldn't have been for Brandon. Aiu.
0: Fair. Yeah, sure. That's, that's a fair assessment. We could, well, I, I like, I think the other thing too, is like Chris Olave did play his senior year and wasn't awesome, but Chris Olave right. played with really good players so, Chris yeah, I'm not is taking really away from I'm just, as productive yeah, no, not as maybe we're implying in college. He was productive in his first three years, in his second and third year. He was very productive. Yeah. And Which then in his Nobody first year, and his fourth year he freshman
1: was at Ohio State. State.
0: Yeah, he's a freshman. Nobody's productive as a freshman at Ohio State. Uh, but yeah, like, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's one of those things where it's like, hey, you know what? I love everything about this except for this one fly in the ointment. And I'm just not willing to pay up for it. Uh, if we're talking about superstar prices. And that, that's right, really I guess what I'm like, okay,
1: but here's here's what confuses me is like I feel like we're having this same argument in reverse with Chris Alave that we were having with George Pickens, where it's like this guy's being priced, you know, as though everything's peachy, but there's this one little fly in the ointment. But like your fly in the ointment is like this guy played an extra year of college a year ago, and then my fly in the ointment with George Pickens is like he actually doesn't get targeted ever. Um, and then it's like one of these is very silly. Uh, and then, and one of these is like everything. And it's like, why is the guy not getting any targets like extremely important to you? But the, the guy remaining a Columbus resident for the year of 2021 is just something we can't let go.
0: Well, George Pickens isn't getting targets at the same rate that Chris is. I agree. If they He's were also priced not even the same, getting targets the same rate as Alec Pierce. If so. they were priced the same, I would be very concerned about George Pickens. George Pickens isn't priced at Chris Lavey's price. Right, but you, but George you Pickens put them in the same tier. You
1: put them year. in the same tier, as in you said these guys should be priced the same.
0: I put them in the same tier in terms of uh if there were no, if like if we were just ignoring everything about everything and saying which player is ignoring
1: who's good at football and who's bad.
0: We were ignoring ignoring. that George Pickens has a low target share of of, like, and by low, I mean, 15%. That's not low. That's pretty good for a rookie wide receiver. When you factor in, he's playing with Deontay Johnson. The only reason that's good for a rookie
1: rookie wide receiver is because most rookie wide receivers don't play hundred percent of the snaps starting from week one. His targets per run is not good.
0: Most wide receivers don't play with Deontay Johnson and Platt Formuth and Chase Claypool. And when Coop ran this last year, he showed that when you play with a bunch of good players, you don't expect as high of a target share. Right. Like the only
1: the things that are buoying you on George Pickens is basically that he started playing full snaps from week one. Because if if he didn't, if they decided to like put out some whatever bum that we see coaches do all the time and not just get it over with and play obviously one of their three best wide receivers from week one, if he was playing like half the snaps for the first half of the season and then he was coming up to this, he'd have like an 11% target share and then you'd be like, oh, this guy sucks. But instead oh. they just let him run some wind sprints and get a target every like 10th pass.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Like if, if he had an 11% target share, yeah, I would be more concerned. But his target rate would probably be a lot higher then. And then that would kind of offset it. And like, I don't know. It's, uh, we can't really, and it's the same thing with George Pickett. If Michael Thomas was healthy and Jarvis Landry was healthy, like fully healthy, is Chris Olave still a 26% target share player? He's probably
1: 23%. I think that if you were capable of being a 26% target share on 40% of the air yards as a rookie wide receiver, that Jarvis fucking Landry does not matter to you.
0: Jarvis Landry was probably going to play in two wide receiver sets if he was healthy for the first No, because they
1: played wow. the, they played a game with Jarvis Landry and Michael Thomas and Chris Olave all healthy and Landry and Olave ran 33 routes and Michael Thomas ran 32 routes. They all ran the same amount of routes.
0: So they just always ran three wide receiver sets or they split two wide receiver sets?
1: They pretty much always ran thirty-three and they seemingly split the twos okay. for so a we, we two weeks.
0: Anyways, the point of the George Pickens thing is that he is doing completely fine as rookie wide receiver standards go. We have a ton of historical evidence that rookie wide receivers that do what George Pickens has done go on to be good NFL players, some of them great. We don't have a ton of evidence that Chris Olave players go on to be great NFL players because we don't really have any comps for Chris Olave. But the closest comps that we have for Chris Olave haven't been superstars. And therefore, if I am looking for superstars, which is all that I'm ever looking for, I'm projecting that okay. George Pickens is going to have a better rest of season than he had first half of the season. So, you're, to- so you've,
1: you've managed to dodge the question, but you've still given me all the component parts that I need to hang you here. You <laughs> y- you said that if they were the same price, that you would like Chris Olave substantially more than George Pickens. And you said that they should be in the same tier. And so I said, so you're saying they should be the same price. And then you didn't answer yes or no. You instead said that, what we should be looking for only is, uh, is finding superstars and that if you're finding superstars, that George Pickens is as or more likely to be a superstar. And so would you not say then that if we should be trying to diagnose superstars and that they're the same, likely to be a superstar, that they should be the same price. Is that not
0: what you're saying? Uh, I think that we can't make them the same price because we are also getting actual production. Uh, uh, from I, uh, today.
1: Oh, right. Okay. So so which one is it then? We should not just be trying to base our prices and our rankings around who's more likely to be superstars or we should be basing it off of who's more likely to give you production per day or what What should we do? In? Because they should be the same price, but they shouldn't be the same price. But if they were the did same did price, you it's a more. it feels like you're really... Like,
0: in the thread, I literally put in the rankings, the actual rankings of how I would rank these players in dynasty. And Chris Olave is like four white, rookie wide receivers ahead of George Pickens.
1: No, he was he was one.
0: Huh? You're, you had you're London talking about a list. You're talking right, okay. about the list that sent you guys all off. So what happened in the Patreon is somebody had asked me, it, "Who has the highest ceiling, independent of everything?" And I had said Drake London and Traylon Burks and. Garrett Wilson and uh, Chris Olave and George Pickens. And then everyone got up in arms about how I had the, all these players in the same tier. Well, I had Drake on in his own tier, and then I had the other four in, in the next tier. And when you look at career production and forecasting career production, not this year's production, then you would see that George Pickens historically has a very high chance of, or not. Very high is a relative term. Nobody has a really high chance of being a superstar, but he has a, a good chance of being a superstar. Uh, Chris Olave has a similarly good chance of being a superstar. That's why they're in the same tier. I like I and then if you ask me who would score more points this year, I would say Chris Olave. If you ask me who's right, gonna okay, score more well, points this year, I'm gonna say Chris Olave. Right. Which but I what I okay, but this
1: is this is what I don't understand. If if you, the question you were asked was, how would you rank them in order of chance to provide meaningful production? And so then you're saying that there's one ranking that is a real ranking, but that ranking isn't. But also the way we should be playing Dynasty is prioritizing meaningful production. So why isn't that... Why isn't your chance to provide meaningful production ranking your actual ranking then?
0: For someone that specializes in nuanced takes, why are you, like, black and whiting the one take? No, I'm just curious.
1: Like, why... <laughs> because I actually... Like, I... I the way that I would classify it is I do rank in terms of who I think is most likely to provide meaningful production. Um, That's like generally the guiding principle of how I try to do rankings. And then if you were to ask me like trade value, then the difference would be like, well, no, I think that these guys should be in the same tier, but this guy has better market value. So I would only trade them for their appropriate add on. That's different, but I I would, I don't know. Like, I think we should be dialing up the ceiling meter to a hundred, like all the time.
0: I guess I guess where I'm coming from. Let, let me back up a step. When I did the, I first entirely list,
1: reject your premise that Pickens has as high of a ceiling as a lobby moving. When forward, I did the first but list, based on accepting that bad premise, then I'm saying <laughs> you should just have them in the
0: same tier in your rankings. When I did the first list, what I had done was looked at career projections just based on what we know, what we okay. expect to have been their year-end result, right? Okay. Like end of rookie year. What are we expecting? We are pre- expecting George Pickens to have. I don't know. Twelve points per game and eighteen percent target share by end of year. We are looking at Chris Olave. I'm not wait, really expecting wait, Chris Olave.
1: Okay, uh, what? You are expecting George Pickens by the end of the year to have twelve points per game?
0: I don't know something like that. I forget what I put in there. Yeah. What is he at right now? He's
1: currently at nine point nine, and he okay. has uh, he has six games remaining. So in order to be able to get up to twelve, you basically need to be at uh 16 16? per game the rest okay. of the year
0: so then a little lower 11.5 yeah. 11 whatever uh i did the math at the time i didn't do the math on the freaking show uh whatever the projection was rest of season it basically spits out the players right like the sophomore comps when you look at the sophomore comps then i'm looking at you know top 12 seasons top five seasons blah 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 and when i look at that it's encouraging for George Pickens like I don't feel unless, unless George Pickens just does nothing the rest of the year which is possible George Pickens could go the rest of the year with a 15% target share and then we're slightly more concerned absolutely but if George Pickens dials it up a notch I don't feel as concerned uh, in fact I feel pretty encouraged and with Chris Olave, I'm looking at it and I'm being like when I did the Chris Olave sophomore comps like they're slam dunks like there's no question about it they're slam dunks He's going to have incredible sophomore comps. The issue I have is when you look at the sophomore comps, and then you look at who his senior sophomore comps are, we're talking about Brandon Ayuk and Dwayne Bow. And it's just not as exciting. And then when uh, but, you look at this, the is, overarching to me, this is like tautology. Hey? To me, this is
1: like tautology analysis. It's like like I, I, I guess I think that it is. Okay, so like in law, right, one of the ways that we try to find outliers, so to speak, in the law. Is this, is this right? your
0: professor <laughs> professor mode?
1: Maybe, maybe it is. <laughs> okay, so like one, one of the typical ways in which we try to find what I would call outlier laws, right, where it's like laws that we thought were reasonable at the time but we later find to be unjust – is like if it leads to perverse results, right? Like we don't want laws to lead to perverse results. And I think that we should establish as a baseline that like if a well-intentioned rule winds up with the possibility of leading to perverse results, we should then be able to, at least in context, not apply such a rule. And I guess what my point would be is that if, a senior declare can essentially do literally anything on a football field. And we are still saying, well, their chance to be a superstar, no matter what they do is essentially cut off by the sophomore comps process because their best comps are going to be Dwayne Bow and Brandon Ayuk. Then I think that that's a perverse result. Like, I don't well, think that it's, not- I don't think that it's acceptable to be relying on that as a, A limiting factor that we can't de-weight at least by just saying, okay, in this context, sophomore comps might not be the best way to view this player because there aren't that many players that are like him, period. He was already an outlier in the sense that there aren't many senior declares that are as productive as he was his first three years. There certainly aren't as many senior declares that are as productive as he is in his first NFL year. Maybe in this instance, you know, reducing these comms to this narrow, like there are just more players that look like Pickens. So it's going to be easier to have good comps for him. There are just not a lot of players to comp to Chris Olave. period. And I don't necessarily draw a negative inference from that. I don't think that it's fair to say just because there aren't a lot of players who are this good who profile like him thus he will eventually stop being good like it might just be that there just aren't a lot of players that have that particular profile profile like him like we've already found the outlier hi i'm the outlier it's me so i don't actually
0: have early declare versus senior declare in the sophomore class it's not part of it his actual so but
1: but yet you've decided to just do it
0: anyway and because of overarching principle we, we do, I do this all the time in every aspect of everything that I do. If there's an overarching right, and principle, and I get mad about doesn't it, doesn't it every single show time, up, hey, and I will continue to get mad about it every time. <laughs> if there's an overarching principle that we know of that isn't showing up, I still feel hesitation towards that, no matter what it is. Okay. So, if we're in, say, uh, well, his sophomore cops, this, this is what if the season ended today, these would be the sophomore cops Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, Dwayne, Bo, Percy Harvin, AJ Brown, Brandon Knight. And when you look at that, it's a great list. Everyone on there is right. great. Like there's there's not a miss to be seen anywhere. He's he's absolutely, definitely a really good player, without question. And then when you look at it and you're like, okay, what, what didn't we like about, you know, Chris Olave? What was holding him back? And it's like, well, he wasn't a prototype. It's like, okay, well, his, the only non-prototype here is Percy Harvin, who only had one good season. Okay, well, no big deal. Okay, well, what else do we like about him? Well, he was not He was a senior. Well, who are the other seniors here? Oh, okay, Dwayne Bow and Brandon Iuk. Okay, also not great on the list. But the list is tiny. Like, we have Mike Evans and Keenan Allen and right. A.J. Brown that, like, are the awesome comps, and they're the best players on the list because they're awesome. They were prototypes, and they were
1: early declares. But in, in reality, the sophomore comps are actually implicitly affecting the fact that he's a senior declare because all of these players are coin flips.
0: No. Mike Evans is bulletproof.
1: Okay, how Okay, well now I'm confused. How how is Obviously. he only on this list? How are there not like better players on this list? Percy Harvin's a long shot. How are there not more bulletproof studs on this list? His rookie season has been incredible.
0: Uh I don't know. This is what the list pulls up. We don't pick and choose who goes on the list. This is what pulls up. It's all like, I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta find some more bulletproof guys on this list. Let's get, let's pump this up. So how it works. You just put in the numbers and it spits out the list. (laughs) Now I have questions. (laughs) There are not very many bulletproof wide receivers in the database is probably where your problem is. There's, you know, what is it? Like 30, 40 in 20 years. Like there's two or three per year. And Then we have yeah. like 10 wide receivers draft the first three rounds every year. So we're talking about right. a very small percentage of the actual wide receivers in the database are bulletproof.
1: Okay. So. I, I will I will leave with this and then well, how about this? We're gonna I'm gonna transition quick into the Drake London thing because so we've talked a lot about Olave. We've talked about Olave in relation to London, but we didn't talk about the London specific question. Because sure. people were saying, what if Drake London face plants? Right. And this is you know, we kind of had this conversation about Rondale Moore a little bit. For people not familiar, the face plant theory uh well why am i explaining it it's your thing you talk about it.
0: okay Tell so the face plant theory how, how this all came about is actually because i was a complete buffoon and kept uh, buying low on these damn players and then they would suck and ruin all my teams and i was like why do people keep telling me to buy low on these players so i started looking at it and i was like does it actually ever make sense to buy low on these players uh so basically, what I did was I took all of the ADP for all these players from Dynasty Football and then compared it year over year. And anybody who lost more than a startup round of value, so 12 ADP slots, was termed a face planner. These players were the players you could buy for less than you originally could have got them, i.e., you're buying them at a discount. When you do that, the players that lose value tend to suck. They don't recover, they don't yeah. become good at the, you, you can't actually buy low one dynasty players. You either buy them as rookies or you buy high on them. Those are your only options. If you're buying low, you're actually doing your dynasty roster a disservice because you're just burning the roster value. So, anyways, uh, what happened with Rondell Moore last year, or what, well, from, yeah, what happened with Rondell Moore last year is that Rondell Moore went out and had a completely expected rookie season. Like he did exactly what I thought he would do, which was not a whole lot of anything. I thought he'd have a really low ADOT. I thought he'd, you know, score. 10 points per game or thereabouts. And I think he scored 9.7 or something like that. Uh, so it was, it was like completely expected. And then everyone just punished him for it. And I was like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Like your expectations were outsized. And now you're punishing him because you got the expectation wrong in the first place. And then when you look at Rondell Moore in terms of all the things that we think matter, all the, all the things I have in sophomore comps, his PFF grade, his, uh, points per game, his prospect profile, his ADP trend, everything. It was like, he doesn't line up with the face planners. Like he probably shouldn't have face planted. Right. And the whole offseason, I was like, yeah, we should probably sell Rondell Moore because there's wisdom of the crowds here. Like the crowds are telling us, Hey, he's probably not that good. Even though we kind of think he probably isn't that bad. And in Rondale Moore's case for me, anyway, it was a matter of, yeah, he's probably not a superstar, and therefore, we just probably should not really care about Rondell Moore. So we should sell him, and it's fine. Like I'm, I'm fine being wrong on Rondell Moore if he comes back and has like a flex season or a like wide receiver twenty season. I, I'm he's okay with being eaten. wrong. He's, on
1: that. he's flexing it up right now.
0: Yeah, he's flexing it up right now. So now we now we're here uh, with Drake London, and Drake London <laughs> is. You know, he, he's doing kind of all the things that we would want him to do. All the peripherals are, are good. He's got a monster target share. He's, you know, doing fine with his monster target share. The Really the only thing... Hoping- now, I'll,
1: I'll run through with Drake London quick. He's, if we look, targets for running he's at 0.233, which is just like 0.003 behind Christian Watson for second. Uh, he's basically in like a dead heat there with garrett wilson christian watson Traylon burks Wandale robinson uh yards per hour he's a little worse he's down at 1.53 he's not been very efficient um his pff grade is 76.8 that's third highest in the class so and then where he's kind of more middling his points per game and yards per run um really like everything that is not ideal about his profile can be tied to either the lack of volume or lack of efficiency in the falcons passing offense And everything that is that can't be tied to that, uh, he's doing either fine or really well.
0: Yeah, like there's two different aspects I I tend to look at, or the way that I think about it in some ways. And efficiency, I I tend to think of almost as a like team level standard. Like efficient quarterbacks tend to have efficient wide receivers. If you're inefficient with like a Patrick Mahomes, that is a real indictment. Uh, right. And then also like, okay, well, we don't have a lot of targets. Well, that's not Drake London's fault. Like they're not throwing a lot of passes. That is an external factor. If we look at the things that Drake London controls, his target share and his um, uh, PFF grade and like things like that, he's like the things that are in his control. He's, he's doing yeah really well or excellent at. So with Drake London, I feel like he's a really, really strong player. And we're just kind of waiting for the situation to catch up to the player. Yeah, I agree. So then from a face planter status, people are looking at him, he's not scoring any points, like he might face plant. And my answer to that is I care. I I was like fine to miss on Rondell Moore because I didn't feel like if he hit, it was going to really matter to me at all anyway. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: With Drake London, that's completely different. Like if Drake London hits, I think he could be a superstar. Fantasy player. Like a he should be the one like as soon as the Falcons give any indication that they're going to pass the football, Drake London is probably going to be at or around my wide receiver three in Dynasty. Like he's going to be right there. And that was never going to be the case with Rondale Moore. So if the masses are going to look at Drake London and punish him for external factors, I'm going to say, I don't really care. You guys are wrong. And yeah, you might be right, wisdom of the crowds, I get it. But I'm not comfortable being on your side on this one. Okay. I'm going to be wrong and bet against the face planner theory if it's the case, because I feel like the risk outweighs the, or the reward outweighs the risk in this case.
1: Okay. I am with you, uh, like 99% of the way there. Um, so I like, if anyone thought that I was talking bad about Drake London in the Chris Olave segment, I definitely was not intending to, I was only talking positively about Chris Olave. Uh I think Drake London is phenomenal. He was my wide receiver 1 in the class just like Drew, he's my 102 in this class just like Drew. Um I prefer Olave at this point by a bit, but I still consider them to be in the same tier. Uh I think that those two and Garrett Wilson are all in a tier together to me a little bit ahead of the rest with Burks and Watson showing the peripherals that are the same as those guys but on way less of a sample and with lower PFF grades. And so I think that they're a step below. I still think it's Olave and Wilson in London right now at the top for me. Um I think that the way you phrased the Rondell Moore answer was much more in line with my thoughts on it, uh, which is that I don't actually give a shit that Rondell Moore was a face planter, to be honest, for a couple of reasons that I'll talk about in a second. But yeah, he is like a tiny little slot wide receiver who, if he hits, is probably not going to hit that much at this point. And if he was going to hit massively, he probably would have shown us in his rookie year more than he did. And he wouldn't have been a face planter because he would have done a lot better as a rookie. And so it's like, yeah, if we miss, we miss whatever like he belonged to a bucket of players not face planters but young wide receivers who don't score a lot of points that i'm perfectly okay fading um and so i think that uh i think that like regardless of the face planter status just like being willing to pass on Rondell Moore was totally fine and i totally agree with you that it's different with drake london um i i wrote this in my piece that i mentioned at the f- very forefront of this section okay so I gave an example of a proxy variable, and I talked about peaches. Uh, Okay, for example, I tell you that the best peaches purchased in British Columbia taste best when they are cheapest to buy. If you choose not to be inquisitive, you can go to the grocery store every day, check the price of peaches, and when they drop into the bottom quartile of daily price, you buy a lot of peaches. On the whole, you will likely derive good results from the strategy. However, there are potential issues with it. To fill in the blank, of course, British Columbia, my hometown now, uh, your hometown now, as both of us are prairie transplants, grows peaches in this province. And peaches are generally picked between July and September here. And thus, that is usually when peaches in the grocery stores are freshest. Also when they don't have as much shipping cost, storage cost, which often results in cheaper products. Therefore, it makes perfect sense that cheaper peaches equal tastier peaches, but we know that the price of the peach has no actual causality. If we took the exact same peach, we increased the price, we decreased the price, it would taste the exact same price here is a proxy variable for taste, while the season is the causal variable for taste. And ultimately, uh, I talked about a little bit later on, where if we ultimately ever got to the point where people all of a sudden realized, uh, oh, like, you know, the the cheaper peaches are the ones we want to buy, and everybody was acting on this, and they weren't acting with any sort of mindset about anything else other than price. They were just treating this as the cornerstone variable. What could potentially happen in that market scenario is that everybody's buying all these cheaper peaches. They're not buying any more expensive peaches. And all of a sudden the market would have to shift the prices of the expensive peaches down so that people would still be willing to buy them. And they could probably charge a little bit more for the cheaper peaches such that you reach this new market equilibrium and where all of a sudden nobody knows when to buy peaches anymore because people were only buying them based off of price. That's when they thought they'd be tastiest, when they were cheapest. Now they're not cheap anymore and everybody's just walking around blindly. And I think that whenever we get into these proxy variable analysis, uh, tropes into fantasy football that this is almost an inevitable result where we start off identifying something that nobody else is really identifying okay if these wide receivers fall by x amount of adp you know we shouldn't ever be betting on these there's something happening here that the market is tweaking into and we don't really have to worry about exactly what they're tweaking into because it's happening and it's happening consistently in their signal there and then eventually when that reaches like through to the mainstream and everybody does that and especially when we've also at the same time posted threads where it's like you should be buying tons and tons of rookies because they don't come into the league with nearly enough value so you should just buy them all as rookies and then if they face plant whatever you can just re-roll them eventually enough people learn that that that's no longer becomes the case people value rookies more coming into the nfl people value the face planters less and all of a sudden this market approach to it becomes a little bit tautological i'm not saying that to devalue your theory in fact quite the opposite i'm saying that you have been so successful in promulgating the face plant theory that it's now become like part of popular lexicon um such that i think that it's uh that it potentially might be reaching its conclusion as something that's valid and i would say something similar to the running back dead zone penned by another one of my good friends in the industry who i respect the time ben gretch and you know he wrote this incredible piece about the running back dead zone and posited a number of different reasons about why running backs going in the dead zone which at that time was defined as running backs rounds three through six commonly failed in fantasy drafts and it eventually permeated so much that people just started looking at it and honestly divorcing it from his actual theory and avoiding certain types of running backs to, oh, if these running backs go in this round, we're not going to draft them. And then what happens is you get like a Josh Jacobs who starts out as a dead zone back and actually carried like a round four ADP on most home league sites, where all of a sudden the sharps, air quotes for the audio listeners, on underdog and in uh, FFPC high stakes drafts are like, well, we can't draft Josh Jacobs. He's going in the dead zone to where he becomes like a freaking round eight pick. And obviously, Josh Jacobs would not have failed if he were in the dead zone. He did not succeed because he was out of the dead zone. He would have been a great pick in round two because Josh Jacobs probably has no freaking clue when his fantasy ADP was, and certainly none of the results that he's putting down this year have any bearing on when he was actually drafted. But I I do think that our attachment to some of these proxy variables without a desire to delve a little bit further ultimately dooms them to having short-lived windows of application. And I think that the faceplant theory still will continue to have merit for the most part because most players who faceplant will just be legitimately bad. But most of them, I think, will be bad for reasons that we can ascertain just by looking at how often do they earn targets? Where are their targets? How many points did they score? Um, and I think that if we look at profiles like a Drake London, where everything above their profile says that they're good, except for the fact that they fall... 15 picks in ADP, if he does, I don't even know if he will, probably won't. Um, then I'm at that point, just being more willing to say, I'm going to just bet on the stuff that's actually more direct, that actually describes how he plays football better. And I'm going to say that either in this case or potentially moving forward, the face plant theory is either losing value or it just simply does not apply to Drake London.
0: It's interesting. I, I never really thought about it in the way that you just mentioned. However, uh... in terms of peaches, terms of peaches i never equated it to peaches um i think like i've been getting asked like a ton over the last couple years like what happens when everybody catches on to the face plant theory i was like well i mean yeah it's probably going to change a little bit for sure we're going to see players that probably didn't use to face plant start face plant uh we talked about this earlier this year with uh christian watson uh when we were talking about like how was he a round two pick like five years ago? He'd have been a mid-first, maybe even the first wide receiver drafted in this class yeah. because he was this physical specimen that got drafted into Aaron Rodgers' offense. Yeah, And, uh, you know, things things are changing from that standpoint. Interestingly, though, and this isn't a very good way to look at it because I only had a few moments while you were talking about peaches to add it up. If you look going at the... the country, going <laughs> to eat me a lot of peaches. We're if if you look at country. the country... Total ADP of the first rounders over the past several years. Uh, just like as a proxy of our classes being drafted earlier or later.
1: Yeah, but everybody thought 2022 is a terrible class. I think, I think this is yeah. a little bit fraught.
0: Everybody thought 2022 okay. was a terrible class. Uh, 695 was the total ADP of the first round. Uh, 2021. 649. 2020, which was an amazing class. 464 2019 which was a terrible class 864 and 2018 was 621 which was a pretty good class in hindsight and actually at the time i think a lot of people really liked it 2017 is maybe yeah. the best class we've ever seen and they were at 677. so, right. I, think so I think 2022 probably, is i think there's probably some merit that we're, we're getting rookies drafted early. Like, I'll,
1: I'll put this way what would you put the over under on for the cumulative adp of the 2023 class
0: it's gonna be closer to 2020 i would think
1: right like i think i think i would set it almost at like 399.5 it's
0: not gonna be that good
1: i mean it might be i mean okay bijan robinson's gonna have an adp of like five uh i think that bryce and stroud are both going to be going in the top 30 and i think that Gibbs is going to be going in the this top
0: this is this doesn't include quarterbacks there's only one QB.
1: Ah, one QB. Okay. Yeah. Then, yeah, it's not going to be that high. Okay.
0: Yeah. Anyways, I, I think there is some merit that, like, when we look at like bad class 2019, but 2019 was right. like a really bad class. Like, nobody liked 2019 at right. 864. People... And then bad class 2022, which was like, yeah, it was, I didn't think it was that bad. Well, we didn't think it was think that it was bad, bad but
1: the market thought it was bad. Yeah. But then so, they didn't actually.
0: But yeah, then they drafted them similar to 2021's like pretty good class,
1: right. which everybody thought 2021
0: was pretty good so yeah so i think i think there's some merit to saying that the average draft position of startup drafts is potentially going up right and, which, which would mean that the, the face level. planning is going to be a much higher standard yeah like when, if you draft I don't know, Traylon Burks at 33, or you draft Traylon Burks at 55, you're going to expect less, in which case you're going to be more willing to continue buying him at 55 than at 33. I think there's a
1: possibility for a two way split here where you end up getting a a double count effect where people are drafting rookies higher, making it harder to not face plant, right? You have to do more to retain an, an ADP. And then because people I think are so twigged into the faceplant thing now that if you fail to meet that higher standard, you'll almost get doubly punished. Because then it's like, let's say that you're, let's, let's say that five years ago you would have an ADP of 60, but, or I don't know, let's say five years ago you had an ADP of 80, would have had an ADP of 80. And then now you have an ADP of 60 because people want to buy in higher on rookies. And then you have a year that's like entirely average for a rookie and so you end up getting an ADP of 80 which wouldn't have been a faceplant before but it is now and people then are like oh my god this guy faceplanted you can't buy the faceplant and so then the ADP ends up tumbling even lower than 80 and ends up at like 100
0: yeah yeah i think it's possible um, which is I mean, why it's like I, but my point is that's it, why i
1: i just want to be a little bit more focused i think like we got a question in the discord that said or someone said i'm into london right now but if he faceplants no thanks and that's like what I'm objected to. Like, I think that there, a brought up a point where it was like, yeah, but is the juice worth the squeeze anyway? And that's fine. I mean, a of course, like um, has like food dollars of wide receivers that he just like stabs relentlessly. Um, and I think he's mostly right. But uh, I, I think that that's fine. But I also think you can kind of say that about anyone or especially any wide receiver. I think well, that I think- London fundamentally is like a pretty good bet qua wide receiver. Uh, and I will make the bet on him. And I will do that regardless of whether face plant status. And and I think that what Adaco said that was smart was like look at this in terms of not like a binary. You know, look at this like a base rate. It's like let's say thirty percent and then drops one ADP. Then it's like twenty nine point five percent. And like I would look at it that way. Not as much with the ADP as much as I would just look at it like okay, if his target per run is twenty three percent, I like him marginally more than if his target per run is twenty two percent. You know, but um, that that's I like London and uh, peaches. Yeah.
0: I, yeah, I think where a lot of people kind of misunderstand me uh, is that I have these like kind of like, I don't know, rules or whatever you want to call it, heur- heuristics or what have you. Yeah. And I think that I like really stick to them. And I'm like, no, I like, I know how the sausage is made. Like if, if anyone's not going to stick to their own rules, it's going to be me. Cause I know why it works that way. Like with yeah. the Traylon Burks and Garrett Wilson thing this year, where I had them ranked well above where their grades should have been. It's like, well, no, I understand how they got there and am able to apply some nuance to the situation and say, actually, I like them more than the prospect profile suggests. Similar similar to how I can look at Chris Olave's profile and say, yeah, his sophomore comps are great, but I know how the sausage is made and I don't really love how that's made. So it's applying the nuance into how the overall overarching process works that I think really surprises people sometimes when i'm doing my own uh my, my rankings and whatnot i can't hear you you you've completely gone mute uh something is terrible i'm not Can you hear me now i can hear everything
1: you can't hear me now okay that's i, I dropped no, no, my no, no. okay i it's dropped good. my mic uh, yeah I no i that. i dropped i dropped my mic and then there's a there's a thing you hit that mutes it and when i caught it i hit it so i muted my mic sometimes. by accident but uh anyhow um uh yes i'm very grateful for this podcast that we have the chance to delve into that nuance because i agree like i think what happens to me a lot that is like probably the most annoying thing about giving fantasy content and also like the thing that troubles me most is that i will talk about these heuristics, which i think is a good way to approach dynasty and like any game is like to have general rules that guide you and then people will over apply them either they will apply them at any cost um, or they will apply them like too stringently and not leave room for nuance. And then I find a lot of the time I'm like having to go to people and be like, no, like don't, don't follow me so much. You know, it's like, um, it's like, sometimes I wonder, you know, like if, if Jesus, uh, could be with us now, right. Would he go to some of the things in the Bible and be like, okay, hey, I didn't really mean it like that. Um,
0: <laughs> you not <know>? quite so <laughs> literally,
1: uh, right. Uh, no, I obviously am not comparing us to Jesus. Uh, although I guess I kind of just did. But I think that uh, uh, I, I, th- I think that there is. It's important in fantasy, and this is what I'll leave it on from my end. Is I think it's important in fantasy football when there is so much that we don't know that we are constantly trying to quantify things that we don't know and try to do so in the way that generates the best signal that we can that there will always be context there will always be a need for nuance and that we always have to be really critical about not just what data we're using, but how we're using it and how we're interpreting it and how we're applying it. Um, and mostly how we're doing all this within the context of the market. Uh, because I think a lot of times that can help solve some of our problems for us.
0: Oh, well, for sure. I think like, one of the reasons that I went away from linear rankings, which I don't do linear rankings anymore. For those that are listening to the podcast that aren't patron subscribers, I do clusters now, which is quite a bit different process is I would put, you know, like I would have George Pickens perhaps in the same tier as Chris Olave if I were doing non-fantasy points type rankings because I would look at their projected comps and say, oh, yeah, they're going to have, you know, pretty similar upside. And then somebody would look at that and be like, oh, I'm going to go trade my Chris Olave for George Pickens. And I'm like, no, that's not what I meant. Don't do that. Like, ah, uh, that really happens fun. so much with with the way that I do the rank. Like, oh, when I, I feel Sky so Moore, bad
1: because people will people will like come back to me and be like, "Aren't you proud of me? I did this," and I'll be like, "Oh, just heartbreaking." And, right? It's like when like it's like when your cat leaves like a dead mouse in your door, and it's like,
0: "I brought this back for you." Yeah. Well, it's like I had uh, towards the end of the summer, I had moved Sky Moore up in the rookie rankings because I was like, "Hey, you know what? Actually, You're Sky Moore hits like- here." We, like, we have a Patrick Mahomes throw to him. Like, that's pretty exciting. So, I'm pretty into that. And then somebody's like, oh, What did he ever hit? And somebody's like, Oh, I took Sky Moore over Garrett Wilson. I'm like, Okay, wait, what? <laughs> Surely you didn't get that from me. And he's like, Yeah, you had it in the rankings. I'm like, You don't draft at the rankings. Like, you you look at it and you're like, Oh, look, he really likes Sky Moore. I should trade back from Garrett Wilson and go get Sky Moore plus some extra. But people take it at like face are like, Yeah. Look, he likes Sky Mora. I forget what I had, 104 or 105 or something. And then draft him there. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, you just wasted so much roster value. You could have done so many creative ways to get Sky Moore on your team that don't involve flushing it all down the toilet to draft him instead of Garrett Wilson. And, like, the the rankings were even, like, tiered. Like, I had these guys in the same tier. It wasn't like I was, like... Sky Moore is head and shoulders above Garrett Wilson. Go and get him. They are in the same tier. It's just like, ah, I was like, I kind of like Garrett. Or, I kind of like Sky Moore because of the Patrick Mahomes effect. You know, maybe consider trading back and getting Sky Moore. I think that would be a good idea. And then you know, they sometimes people go off the rails and do the things that you don't really expect. You're like, I find so much of my time in the Patreon now is spent trying to clarify my communication. <laughs> like, no, 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 that's not what I actually like. No, like, it's like this, this is what I mean. And then they're like, do something else. I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I mean either. It's like this, this is what I mean. And uh, I I just got to be better at communicating things. And I think we're getting there, like going to the A, B, C, D, F uh, buy grades instead of just having buy, sell, hold, I think really improves the communication aspect of how much I like this. I think taking the ranking aspect completely out of the rankings And putting them in clusters makes so much more sense from a usability standpoint where you don't have these miscommunications with new patrons. So anyways, uh, what I'm trying to say is really there's a lot of nuance in this and it can be very difficult to communicate that nuance in an effective manner. And if I've misled you unintentionally, I apologize profusely. I will continually try to do better. And if Chris Alave ends up being wide receiver three with like the similar value to the players that are normally valued at wide receiver three, we should probably consider selling Chris Olave. And what's interesting about that take is that everyone who's arguing with me about it agrees with that same principle. (laughs) We're just getting there on a different path.
1: I think that the only difference is, is that you might be saying that you would trade him for one of the other wide receivers that would be a candidate to be wide receiver three or that like oh. that would be one of the acceptable options.
0: Well, it would depend on which one. If Drake right. London had a projectable range of outcomes that included being amazing, I would happily trade for Drake London and keep him in the Jamar Chase Justin Jefferson tier as that is what I would expect for Drake London. Right. However, I don't think any that's I don't not think what's
1: any happening. of us I don't think any of us are going to be saying like, "Oh, you should trade Chris Olave for like I don't know, Jalen Waddle. We should trade Chris Olave for AJ Brown. You trade, like I think we're just saying, like, well, you should trade Chris Olave for quarterback or a bunch of picks or tight end or stuff that we want. And then if you can't, then just hold Chris Olave, I guess.
0: Yeah, I think that would be very similar. I think that uh unless okay. you're getting true difference making production at the top, then you trade the players. And Drake London, we would have true difference making potential like like Drake London, I feel like, like it really just comes down to like we're the, the shadow back of a depth. This. this is a shadow it, it is. It's a shadow we're of a the doubt the there's show. like this doubt in my mind and i don't want the doubt in my mind when we're talking about superstars
1: get it out of your mind all right that's the show i'm jacob <laughs> you're drew do you have any final words
0: uh i have no final words those are all my final words
1: i i do you know, i bro. peaches come from a can they were put there by a man
0: in a factory downtown.
1: Going to the country, I'm gonna meet me a lot of peaches. No.
0: Going not, to the country,
1: gonna eat me a lot of peaches.
0: What a song.